Wednesday, June the 20th. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We will be talking some NFL news. We'll uh, hit on the NBA a little bit and the MLB. Talk about some of the players that are opting out of the uh, the season restarts. Then we're going to get to Wednesday horse racing. Some Tampa. Some Indy. We've got an Emerald Downs pick five for Wednesday. We're going to talk about that. And then we will talk with uh, our first guest on the show, and we're going to talk about Canterbury Wednesday and Thursday with Dave Handelin. We're going to hit the Wednesday card races 3 through 10. We're going to hit the pick 4 for Thursday. I'm going to talk some Belmont, some Woodmine, some Indy for Thursday. And then WCW Great American Bash 1996 with Andrew Champagne. Tons to talk about on this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Let's jump right into it. Big news in the world of the NFL Cam Newton is headed to New England. He will be the new quarterback for the New England Patriots. No more Tom Brady. Cam Newton, not a bad pinch hitter coming in off the bench. Pro Football Focus has him number two in the highest rate of positively graded plays since 2006. And even in 2018, he had the seventh best passing grade in the NFL. He's someone that we feel like he hasn't been top tier for a while he's just he's had injuries he's been banged up this is a great great contract for the Patriots they were able to sign Cam to a one-year deal that could earn him up to 7.5 million but it's a ton of incentives so um, Ian Rappaport said it's a bare minimum deal one year worth up to 7.5 million and if if this is the Cam that is healthy and is a very good Cam, he could really help this team because he could do things for the team that Brady can't. He could help some of the receivers that maybe couldn't quite separate and get open. With Cam's ability to get out of the pocket to run, he could get them a little bit more separation. There could be a little more room for some of those receivers to work with. We know New England had a great defense. They weren't missing much. They needed a little bit more on the playmaking end, on the offensive side of the ball. And if Cam is healthy... If he's just the Cam that we saw at the beginning of 2018, not even MVP 2015 Cam, this could be a a big, big help for a Patriots team that just needs some playmakers out there. I mean, we look back at Cam, he struggled in 2018. Overall, they ended up going 6-8 after he gets banged up. 6-8 in the games that he starts. They were 11 and 5 back in 2017. They had a rough year in 2016. They would kind of go good, bad, good, bad. You know, 2013 they were 12 and 4. Then they went 5, 8 and 1 the following year. And then 2015 that was the year they went 15 and 1. And you know, we we saw Cam with the ability to have the run pass and the option to do both and with his size and his strength and his athleticism and his instinct this is a a quarterback who, you know, he's he's rushed for double digit touchdowns twice, fourteen touchdowns, ten touchdowns. He also had another year with eight. He has hit over seven hundred yards three times. He's been over five hundred yards, what six different seasons, and it's all every conversation about Cam now between now and the start of the football season is all going to be about. Is he healthy? How healthy is he? Because we thought that it was going to be Stidham starting for the Patriots. And I think 
this move doesn't mean that the Patriots don't like Stidham. They looked around, and this was a move they were able to sign Cam for basically a league minimum. If he plays well, if everything goes great, they they end up paying him $7.5 million. If that's the case, they're going to be a good football team this year. It's a really win-win situation for the Patriots. It's worth taking a shot. If he's not healthy, if he's lost a step, if he's not quite as good as he was a few years back, you, have, you, you can take a swing with Stidham anyway, who you would have been handing the reins over to. This is a great a great opportunity for Cam to succeed under a good coaching staff. You know Belichick's the type that will build the offense around him and put him in places where he could succeed. They're going to be able to run the ball quite a bit. This should only help their running game. They weren't, you know, they have a strong defense. They weren't missing a whole lot. This this helps them because I think this raises their floor quite a bit with someone like Cam coming in and again, again, the conversation is going to continually be if he's healthy, if he's healthy. Good storyline, fun storyline in the NFL. Right now, all these sports are starting to get back into swing, and there's a new daily fantasy app for prop bets. It's called Thrive Fantasy. You can download the Thrive Fantasy app on your phones, or you can go to uh, thrivefantasy.com. What they've done is they have changed the way DFS is. They've Set up a little something different Instead of the traditional salary cap format In this format You build your lineup around a list of prop bets So for every contest you will choose The amount of prop bets That they have selected for you And you're going to pick over or under On these props If you're someone who bets props If you're someone who plays fantasy sports If you're someone who just watches sports And is very interested in uh, getting a little action You will love this Each unique prop has an over or under point value assigned You're going to be rewarded that point value If the prop is correct It'll be something like Tom Brady will throw for over or under 250 yards, um, 100 for over, 80 for under, and then you will select which side you think, and then of course, um, every one that you select, your points will add up. I always like to check when I have new sponsors and and I'm working with new people, just to make sure everything's on the up and up. I've played in plenty of these contests myself. They have contests where you can get involved for $2 for $5. They have free roll contest. We're talking baseball, basketball, football, um, soccer, League of Legends, golf, everything you can think of they have different contests for you can play head-to-head matchups you can play in contests where for $25 you have the opportunity to win thousands of dollars just like any other DFS site thrivefantasy.com the website thrive fantasy is the name of the app and right now they're offering you a a couple cool different things if you are are interested in someone who loves to play so through Friday July the 3rd um, you will get a $5 credit if you sign up and use the promo code G-I-N-O, if you deposit $10, you will get another $10 credit. So if you sign up and use the promo code G-I-N-O, you'll get 5 bucks right away. If you deposit $10, you will get another 10 You can get $15 just by signing up using the promo code Gino and then depositing 10 So you'll turn that $10 deposit into 25 immediately. You can get involved in all sorts of games. Uh, on Thursday, they have the round one at the Rocket, Mor- uh, Rocket Mortgage Classic for the PGA, a featured contest. Friday, they have League of Legends free rolls and rake-free head-to-heads. Check them out, thrivefantasy.com or the Thrive Fantasy app. Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O. 
our That's What G Said podcast best football movies bracket. It started with 64, and now we are down to two. It is Remember the Titans, which defeated Varsity Blues in the Final Four against Brian Song, which defeated Rudy in the final and the other side of the Final Four. So it's Remember the Titans versus Brian Song in the best football movies. On to some quick basketball thoughts. We are going to start getting into the NBA and talking about all the teams, where they stand, and we'll go through you know storylines, players, rotation, injuries, all that stuff. We're going to do that a little bit later this week. I'm going to start with the Eastern Conference. We're going to go through the nine teams that are returning in the East, and then we're going to go over to the West, and we're going to go through the 13 teams that are returning in the Western Conference. So, there have been some players in the NBA so far that have opted out and that have said they are not going to be heading back to Orlando to the bubble to play. Let's go through the list of those players for different reasons. They've all decided to sit out. Trevor Ariza, currently involved in a custody case over his son, and he's committing to a one-month visitation window with his child rather than rejoining his tra- uh, Blazers teammates. This was according to Woj. Uh, Davis Bertrands, who plays for the Wizards, he... Uh, he's worried about an injury. He suffered two previous ACL injuries. The Wizards would literally need to win every game and hope that the teams in front of them lost almost every every one of their games, the Nets and the Magic, in order to just have an opportunity to get a playoff to then maybe get into the 8th seed, to then maybe play Milwaukee. So he's going to be sitting out. He had a great year, 15-plus points, and he shot 42-plus percent from three-point range on uh, over nine attempts, uh, almost nine attempts a game. Uh, but they they understand why he's sitting out. Avery Bradley for the Lakers. This is a big one for the Lakers. He was a starter. He's worried about his family. He will not play the rest of the season. His son Liam has a history of struggling to recover from respiratory illnesses. He said, as committed to my Laker teammates and the organization as I am, I play basketball for my family. At a time like this, I can't imagine making any decision that might put my family's health and well-being at even the slightest risk. Willie Cauley-Stein for the Mavericks. He is out. He will not be playing. His partner and Willie Colley Steiner are expecting a baby in July. Cousins, Demarcus Cousins, he has said that he first he said that he was not going to play. Then they said that he hasn't ruled out signing and playing with the team. I guess it'll we'll see how comfortable he feels still in the next few weeks getting back into shape. Wilson Chandler says the health and his well-being of his family has to come first, so he will not be playing for the Nets. DeAndre Jordan said that he will sit out after testing positive for COVID-19. He made his announcement after Spencer Dinwiddie said that he also has tested positive. Dinwiddie is under quarantine, and he's unsure if he will rejoin his teammates in Florida for the restart. There is your list of players so far who have opted out in the NBA. And just to set the scene a little bit, NBA schedules are out. Games start on Thursday, July the 30th. First two games, we'll get Lakers-Clippers. We'll get Utah-New Orleans, and then we'll get Lakers-Clippers. And then after that Thursday, we're going to get days where it's six games on Friday. We have five games on Saturday, six games on Sunday, six games Monday, six games Tuesday, six games Wednesday. Into the next week, six games Thursday, six games Friday, five games on Saturday. We have uh, seven games on a couple of days on Sunday and then again on Tuesday. So everybody's going to get their seven to eight games in quick. The Lakers will actually only end up playing 71 games total. And I think a few of the teams will end up playing a total of 75 games. On the eastern side, 
Milwaukee has a six and a half game lead over Toronto. They're the two seed. Boston Celtics are the three seed. They're nine and a half behind Milwaukee. Four seed is Miami Heat. They are 12, uh, 12 games behind Milwaukee, so they're two and a half behind Boston. The Pacers are 14 games out of it. They're in the fifth seed. They are tied with the 76ers. They're both 14 out. Brooklyn Nets, we're going to look like a different Brooklyn Nets team, possibly missing you know, Jordan, Dinwiddie. We'll see what's, what's going on with him. Uh, we know Will Chandler won't be around also. Orlando Magic, they are 30 and 35. They are 23 games out of it. They're uh, half of a game behind Brooklyn for the seventh spot. And then... It, uh, actually, they are in the 8th spot, half a game behind Brooklyn, who's in the 7th spot. So, Indy, 5, Philly, 6, Brooklyn, 7, Orlando, 8. The Wizards are the, the ninth seed. They're 5.5 games out of the 8th spot, and uh, they are 24-40. and 40. And Then on the other side, Lakers with the 1 seed. Clippers are the 2 seed. They're 5.5 games back, so it doesn't look like uh, either of the 1 seeds should be in jeopardy. The Nuggets are the third seed. They are seven games behind the Lakers. They are a game and a half behind the Clippers. The Jazz are eight and a half out. They're a game and a half behind the the Nuggets. So the Jazz are the fourth seed. OKC and Houston, they're tied for the fifth and the sixth spot. Behind them is Dallas in the seventh spot. The Grizzlies are in the eighth spot. And behind the Grizzlies, the teams chasing the Grizzlies that need to be within a couple of games in order to push a playoff. The Trailblazers are the ninth seed. The Pelicans are the... 10th and the Kings are the 11th but they are all three tied they are only three and a half games behind Memphis the Spurs are four games back and the Suns are six games out those are your 22 teams that are going to be lining up um, come July the 30th Thursday July the 30th when the NBA hopefully reconvenes back in Orlando we're going to break down each team in the NBA over the next couple of shows starting later this week and we're going to start with the Eastern Conference over on the baseball side of things, we're starting to see some of the baseball players deciding now that they're going to be sitting out. And many of the players are having to deal with rigorous testing. So league personnel, team officials, and players are dealing with um, testing that will detect whether a player currently has uh, COVID. And uh, nearly 1,800 players respect uh, expected to report to camps. Some of them in Arizona, Florida, Texas, California. I'm reading through the Jeff Passan article on ESPN. Others were flying in from other countries. So we know that there's going to be plenty of tests, which we've seen. Players are going to be submitting saliva for the PCR test and blood for the antibody test. COVID-positive players will have to immediately isolate until they fulfill certain measures. Two negative tests taken at least 24 hours apart. No fever for at least 72 hours while not uh, using fever-suppressing medicine. And no respiratory symptoms as judged by a doctor or team medical staff. The team physician and a joint committee consisting of two doctors and one non-medical representative from the MLB and the MLBPA will deem that the person does not pose a risk of spreading the infection. Other snags exist. Individuals must satisfy local health requirements. Team Oscars can ask for cardiac evaluations. Contact tracing for positive individual will take place. And those who have been in his or her presence must self-isolate until a negative result on a COVID test is returned. And think about this now, things that we've started to see in New York and other places that are, are locking down now and getting more aggressive about the travel and having to quarantine if you come from certain states. So what about teams that are coming in and playing the Yankees or the Mets and they're flying in from a state where they'd have to quarantine after? Then what's supposed to happen? What's going to happen? 
So it's it's a nice positive to hear that baseball and basketball and football and everyone is you know planning and, and on the up and up to getting back back to, to playing. But we just got to keep our fingers crossed because the way things are moving right now, it doesn't really look positive for anything. Even though everybody seems like we're getting ready to to get back together, so um, we will start also in the next week or two breaking down MLB. We'll start previewing what the divisions look like, and we'll start previewing teams and you know, breaking down what a 60-game season will look like, who's injured, rotations, everything like that. So in the next week, week and a half, we're going to have lots to talk about in the world of basketball, baseball, football, as we start previewing and getting ready for these seasons. Let's hear from one of our sponsors, and after that, we are going to get right into horse racing. We have a ton for Wednesday and Thursday. Kick back and enjoy. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. Uh, I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can. And enjoy. Use that promo code GINO. My favorite is Fresh Roses. The Fresh Roses scent is awesome. If you're a horse racing fan, they got Del Mar in there. You ever want to know what Del Mar smells like, but you couldn't make it out there? Order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company. The website C-E-R-A Candles.com. Sarah Candles.com. Promo code GINO for 10% off your purchase. Three best plays for Wednesday, July the 1st over at Tampa. Get your past performances out. And let's get to race number two. This is a maiden 25, Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up six furlongs the distance. I'm going to go to the five in here. She's a lady grizz. So she debuts, she's raced four times. She debuts back in September of 2019 at Churchill against maiden 50s. And she didn't show a whole lot. But in her second career start, she stretched out, she went long, and she at least showed some route speed. So she has some semblance of speed. And they were going sub-23 that day, so not exactly just slow. June the 3rd, she comes back, she comes into a new barn. She has legitimate trouble in her in her first try since November. It's her first try for the new barn. It's her first try on the grass. And then last out, you have a slow start. She's about 10 lengths off of it early on. She's inside, she's ninth of 10, she's asked for a run. She moves in between horses, then three wide, uh, four wide at the top of the lane, gets up for third. This is not a strong group. If she's able to transfer that form back to the dirt, she's going to win this race. If she runs similar to anything that she's run in the last few, I think she's a horse who you can key on in some of the early exotics. A horse like Renee's in heaven, sure, absolutely, she could win, but she's had her opportunities. First time starter to the outside, wild embrace. Yeah, she makes a little sense. Give me the horse, the five. She's a lady grizz who's going to go third start off the long layoff. I think could be set for a good effort. Cutting back, returning to the dirt. Let's go with the five. She's a lady grizz. If we get anything around three to one, we'll make a win wager. Let's move to race number five, and let's go to the number six, not telling. They're going to be going a mile in here on the turf course. These are made in 16s. He's got to get the lead in here. 
There is just no other speed in this race. He's going to try the grass for the first time. He has three siblings. One was a three-time winner on the grass. He has legitimate sprint speed. He was not far out in, in a few different sprint races. Last time out, he had a good start. He was right with the leaders, but a couple of others went. So he ends up sitting off on the inside, a couple of others, and he's chasing the two-to-five favorite, Evidence, who ends up drawing off and wins easily. I think there's a good spot for not telling. Try to steal this race up front. If you get seven to two, let's make a win wager on the number six, not telling in race number five at Tampa on Wednesday. Let's move to race number nine on Wednesday over at Tampa. And I'm going to go over to the number eight, Vittner. Last we saw him, he broke really well. He was three deep before. He was in between horses going into the turn. He got all the way up to second. He was only a length and a half off, and he was going pretty quick early on while he was pressing. And I think that was what ends up doing him in late. He's sitting a little too close to a pretty quick early pace. He has to take back a little more early on. That's what I'm hoping he does in this spot. He battled down inside. He kept trying hard. He was only beaten less than two lengths for all the money, even with a trip that was probably not Exactly the type of trip he wanted Expect him to sit a little bit more off today That's Vittner, the number 8 In race number 9 at Tampa 3 plays at Tampa, 2nd race the 5 She's a lady Grizz, 3-1 to one is the value line there 5th race, the number 6, not telling 7-2 to two is the value line there Ninth race, the number 8, Vittner 5-2 to two is the value line there Just want to let you know About Stable Duel You've heard us talk about Stable Duel plenty On the That's What G Said Make sure to give them a follow on all social medias Check them out on Twitter Follow along as soon as the Stable Duel Daily games are up and running You will know about it here on That's What G Said But make sure to follow them So you will get all of that information ASAP Stable Duel Play, race, win If you didn't see my uh, T-shirt that I posted on social media The Degenerate T-shirt You can get that T-shirt at StableDuel.com Give it a look Let's get you over to Wednesday Indiana Grand Couple plays So we'll start at race number 1 On Wednesday at Indiana Grand Let's go to the 6 Bell in the City here These are made in special weights They're going 6 furlongs And I think the 6 has a real shot To either steal this race Maybe get in front of a couple others in here Or sit a really good trip right behind them So kind of lucky is quick Majestic blend It wouldn't be a shock if either one of them Shows some speed in here But I think Bell in the city Has some real ability So look at the races back in, in 2018 Before she was sent to the bench For a year and a half She's right there with legitimately nice animals at Churchill and at Keeneland. She comes from off the pace a little bit. She's shown a little bit more speed in her last couple. I think it was because she was fresh and and maybe they just handled her uh, aggressively. On June the 20th, she broke right on top. She ends up sitting second, just off. She moves right up on even terms. They went 21 and 3. So she ends up fading. She's outrun by, you know, a, a 21 to 1 shot. First time starter She was a fine third Back on April the 19th at Tampa Back in April She wheels back quickly here And it's just her third start since November of 2018 She's getting fitter She has the uh, the ability to improve in here That's the six bell in the city Make sure to use her in all your Zotics bet uh, Make a little win wager on bell If we can get 7-2 to two. Let's move to race number 6 At Indiana Grand for our second play for the Wednesday card It's going to be the two One last strike He's going to get back to the green And I think that will really help him The last time we saw him on the turf 
who was at Churchill in a first level allowance where he was behind a horse named Mr. Dumas. Mr. Dumas came right out of that race to win a grade three next out. The races prior to that at Colonial and Ellis are really good. They they stack up nicely with this one. And then in his last couple starts on the dirt, which I don't really consider in here, you just look at who he'd faced. He'd been facing horses who were super live and who came out of those races to win their next starts in Jungle Warfare and Dumpf. Great spot for the two. One last strike in race number six at Indiana Grand. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything around seven to two. And then we move to race number 7 It's going to be the one better charge it Who draws the rail first time gelding I think they gotta try to send hard from the inside Woke up last time out Has some really good races to fall back on That 50 non-2 at Churchill The first level allowance at Keeneland Anything remotely close to those Would would go a long way Against this group That's the number one better charge it Who's got to try to send from the inside You know the 6 distant shore shouldn't be too far out of it KJ's nobility will try to come run him down If they go too quick I'm hoping the 1 can steal this race The first time gelding on the inside Better charge it If we can get around 5-2 to two, We'll make a win wager in race number 7 at Indy That's your Indy for Wednesday Let's get you over to Emerald Downs They have a pick 5 carryover At Emerald on Wednesday It's going to start in race number 6 So we had to take a little swing With the carryover there already I think it was around 30000 So uh, expect some money to pour into that And we have you know free money to take a swing at At Emerald Let's get you to race number 6 Past performances out for July the. F- Let's get you to race 6 I'm going to use three in here to kick off the pick five. I do think the five, Mika the Mistress, she looks like the one to catch. She was not far out of it going a thousand yards at Los Alamitos last out. She set the pace at Santa Anita a couple starts back. She's won at Emerald. She's won going six furlongs, so the distance does not concern me in here. If she clears the field, she can sneak away from a group like this. Make sure to include her with the top rider jumping aboard. Mika the Mistress. Take a look there. The two Coilette on the drop in class, obviously a, a top contender in here. And the four Emma's a beast. She looks like probably the most logical winner in the race. I think she will come closing. She was behind an X out winner last time out at Golden Eight, Golden Gate. She's got a little recency when uh, many do not. Emma's a beast. Five two four in that first leg of the pick five sequence at Emerald. In race number seven, I'm gonna use I'm gonna spread out a little bit. The nine horse is going to be my top selection in here. That's Brothers, who's adding the blinkers, and I think has the opportunity to to just clear this field. The one spitting image, the first time starter, I'm going to be using everywhere. This damn flying memo. She was a two time winner. She won her debut going three and a half furlongs at Hastings, and then she actually won a race at Emerald Downs. She had a win, a couple seconds, and a third at Emerald in a few starts there. The fools that she produced are a combined 21 for 79. They've earned 355,000. They there are 6 of them and they are all winners. 5 of them are multiple winners. Spitting image I'm going to be using in all the exotics, the number 4, the Metal Man. He's the only horse that has a race this year. If the rest of this field may need a race cuz they have not been out on the track since July August The metal man might just be a little More fit He on January the 19th Ran a race that would be very Competitive with this kind of a group And then he came back and he was Okay fourth but he didn't really have a The best of trips that day Make sure to use the metal man 
in your exotics. The two, Fro- uh, Frolic and Detour, coming off the bench, that would be the next one dropping out of Stakes Company. The 10, time and time again, would also make some sense in here coming out of a, a strong race. But I do think we might be able to get through this race with a couple price opportunities here. So I'm going to try 149, and then I'll use the 210 on, on another ticket. But 149 here, the major players for me. In race number 8, I think this is a formful race. To me, the Lucarelli horses look to be really tough in here. Irish Terrier probably will, will come closing, but Golden Cowboy has an opportunity to sneak away in a race that just does not have a whole lot of speed on paper. So I think we can use 2-3 and try to get through this 8th race. And then in the ninth race, I'm going to go all. I thought this was a really difficult race. If I had to cut down a little bit, it would be Magical Spell, the 1, the 3, Lady Campbell, and the 5 for you only, but no real strong opinion here. So this is an all race because in the 10th race, I think we can single stand in your love. There's really no other speed in this field. Maybe the maybe the rail. I think stand in your love will sit right behind cutting back should be fit has shown the ability to be right off of it in a sprint. So stand in your love going to be really, really tough in the 10th to close things out. So we'll look at a, a pick five at, at Emerald that will use the 2-4-5 in race 6 with the 1-4-9 in the 7th with the 2-3 in the 8th with all in the ninth, single the 4 in race number 10 and maybe you come back and play another ticket where you go something like 2-4-5 with 1-2-4-9-10 with the 3 with the 1-3-5 with the 1-3-4-6 I, I generally will play a, a couple different approaches when I put in some pick 5 so that's your Wednesday over at Emerald now we're going to head to Canterbury, and we're going to talk to Dave Handelin. We're going to go through Canterbury's Wednesday card, which is awesome. There are four stakes races. They have an all-stakes pick four, and then they have the low takeout pick five at the end of that. Make sure to give this card a look. We're going to go through Canterbury Wednesday. Enjoy. Horse players are excited out there because Canterbury Park has got this new 10% low takeout pick five wager. It is the lowest wager as far as takeout is concerned in the United States, and it, it is something that definitely drew my attention. So you heard us talk about this pick five for the last few weeks. Last week we had Brian Aragoni on to talk about uh, the Wednesday and Thursday race. This week we're going to have Dave Handelin on to talk Real Sports Dave on Twitter. Dave, how you doing? I am doing good. Thank you for having me, Gino. I appreciate I appreciate you joining me. We had some technical difficulties for a little getting through this, but hey, you know what? I feel like that means we're gonna we're gonna give some winners out to the folks because there's a reason why we got through and battled through and made it to be able to give out our pick fives for uh, and our our thoughts on the Wednesday and Thursday. So there must be some good hidden nuggets in there. There should be. It was, it, like getting this call set up was almost like the Gulfstream Park poster egg of <laughs> getting there. Like you feel uh, like we were, we're there, we're, and they circle two more times, and then they <laughs> we were both ready. Now we're going. Then I'll, yep, circle, circle, <laughs> circle, and then we got a rider change, and all of a sudden we're good to go. And all right, now it's showtime. Okay, so for the folks out there who don't know Dave, who is Dave? Let us know. How do you get into horse racing? Um, you're over there in Minnesota now. You're, you're talking Canterbury, covering Canterbury a lot. So just give us your background. I always like to know how people find their way into horse racing. Yeah, so background, I probably started following horse racing when I was kind of midway through high school. We had, I had a friend, family friend who was uh, into horse racing. I would think the first horse that really got my attention was, I think, Fusaichi Pegasus was where kind of what brought me in. Uh, then I fell in love with Rock Hard 10, 
and then we, so we grew up in southern Minnesota, started coming up to the Canterbury Park, uh, probably late 90s. And that was kind of where the where the seed was planted and kind of, yeah, I've been for 20 some years coming up to going to Canterbury and loving it. Have It's kind of you, you meet your family, different side of your family at the track. I met my wife at the track, got engaged at the track. And so like, it was it's been great. I, I, I love Canterbury park. Uh, the people there are great. It's it's, I've been to other horse racing tracks, but it's just, maybe it's because I have more of an inside feel of it. it just feels like a sense of like family and community there. Uh, I get the super stats name. I do statistics for the Timberwolves on the radio broadcast here. So in the 15 years I worked for the Timberwolves, I've worked two playoff home games in my life. Oh, so am I losing percentage? There is, is, even worse than my losing percentage <laughs> at the track. So I, you know, I didn't even know that. I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing you back one day to talk some basketball too. I'm excited that hopefully basketball is getting the the ramp back up as a Laker fan. So fingers crossed uh, there. Um, so one thing I I wanted to point on before we get into some of the specifics, you you hit on something about Canterbury that I noticed really early on covering the races there when I was on TVG years back, and just from talking to a lot of people out there. They really do a good job um, of of trying things out, and it's a different atmosphere of a racetrack. It does feel like the place to be, the thing to do in town. Everybody goes out there. The fan experience is different. It's a lot of fun. We've seen them try things like the the multi the the two races simultaneously, you know, and the ostrich racing, and and I saw someone get slingshotted and and you know, uh, uh, evil Knievel type uh, stunt devil stuff. They just they have a good time out there. They have fun. They try to do things to draw the people in, and they just feel like. You know what, we want to make this kind of a place to be Which is unfortunate right now Because, you know, everything going on in the world But that was the one thing I've always respected about Canterbury Is they're willing to take shots And try different things That a lot of other tra- racetracks won't do Yeah, they, that was what, they've been very good at that Of trying to bring in other people Like in the cities here Like in Minnesota Once, once we hit Memorial Day Even before Memorial Day People want to get outside Get outside and do things In other parts of the country That doesn't necessarily people don't think towards horse racing, but Canterbury has made it kind of a go-to event like Thursday and Friday nights. They've done a really good job of bringing in like a younger clientele and trying to get them involved in the game with you, you, you price things accordingly, right? You bring, you bring it for cheaper admission and you have cheaper drinks and hot dogs and everything like that. Get people to the track, get them into the door and then hopefully get them involved and get them betting on the game and then turns into a repeat customer. And just, yeah, this year, and like you said, they've, they've tried other things before with like the extreme race day when you've got thoroughbreds racing, maybe a furlong and quarter horses racing 100 yards. And you've got the multi-surface, the dirt versus the turf, which is always a, a thing of chaos. Or the, <laughs> like just the different things that they try. And that's where as they've had to pivot with everything that's went on here to the this is the first week that they're doing the four day Monday through Thursday program is what they'll be doing the rest of the summer as well. And it's kind of, all right, for one year here, we're going to kind of sacrifice the whole fan experience that's here at the track. And, and they are bringing people in, but that part has disappeared as they're, all right, now it's time to get the simulcasting game. Like you said, with the 10% jackpot pick five. All right, let's get people looking at Canterbury for the right reasons here and seeing it. And once you get in the door looking at that, if they're like me, it seemed like last year, like I don't play Arlington a lot. I said last year, it seemed like Arlington had a pick five carryover once every week. And then I'd get sucked right into playing mm-hmm. the pick four and the pick three and everything that goes along with that Arlington car that day. 
So it's like, all right, if Canterbury can do that and capitalize, then let's see what happens. And so far, it's been really, really good. They've, the, the, the racing has been deep and quality. It's been challenging. And that's what we want as betters. Because I think what ends up happening a, a few years ago, Canterbury tried to do something similar with um, a lot of low takeout wagers. And for whatever reason, that year with the weather, some of the things that were happening with the signal distributions, it just didn't quite catch on. And in the in the the first couple of weeks of this year, I feel a lot more buzz and uh, just a lot more good energy about this time with the low takeout pick five than what happened a few years ago. Yeah, that's that was exactly right. I think you hit on that with BA last week, and just saying that it was a when when they tried that low takeout before it 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 backfired with with the weather and it just with low fields. It, it doesn't matter kind of what the takeout it, if you're having five six horse fields, people just. Tend to stay away from it. If I'm mm-hmm. jumping in randomly on something, I'm not jumping in on a six horse race across the country at a track I may not know. So yeah, takeout or not, it's people got scared away. We're this right now with with the ten percent takeout and and with the cards being how they have been. Like they're scheduling the cards right, but you're getting very few races have maybe even under seven horses in a race. Like they're all. All right, seven to ten to maybe even twelve, depending on some of them. Like it's given people options, and if you've seen the payouts, the payouts of the pick five have been astronomical. And I think there's been one pick five that's paid under a thousand dollars. It seems it's it, it every one it seems is hitting multiple thousands of dollars. I've luckily hit hit one of them to cover some of the losses, but and I'm I'm trying to preach this too because. You know, one thing that first not frustrates me, but it just when you look around the country on Saturdays uh, for the big racing days now, and we see over the last month as a lot of these tracks have opened back up, we're not seeing the really deep stakes races like we used to. So, hey, I mean, if you look around on Saturday and there are eight graded stakes races, six of them have a horse that went that wins over four bucks. Why not? Push a, a, a little bit of your bankroll to the the middle of the week and take a couple shots at these pick fives. That's what I'm doing. Yep, there's there's tracks similar to Canterbury that are trying to bring people in to do this, and yeah, I think Indiana's got a low pick five now as well. They're, mm-hmm. they're, it's a little bit higher, but twelve percent. Like these tracks Great. are trying, they're trying to get people in. It's like the horse racing public. Listen to us, listen to us, listen to us. Like we want to have a voice. Well, then finally tracks are all right. We're going to try this, and we're going to give this to you. Give us a reason to keep doing this, and maybe. Yes. Maybe the te- maybe the ten percent pick five leads into a thirteen percent pick four next year, or maybe a ten percent daily double, or gets people thinking creative because the the whole entire horse racing industry has to be more creative and more proactive in how they think with things to get people involved. And the ten percent pick five and people seeing payouts of five, my friends who've seen five and ten thousand dollar payouts go. Wow, I, I can I can throw forty bucks at this or twenty Absolutely. bucks at this. Like it's easy. It's easy. You don't have to sell anyone on it, right? Yeah. You just show them. Hey, look look at the results the last few weeks. Like like you mentioned, the one that paid around. I think the one of the few ones that paid five hundred bucks, but it was super logical when you look too. Mm-hmm. It, it was something that might have paid normally 
200 bucks or 300 bucks But you get an extra bump in it because of that low takeout And then there's all this extra money in the pool From people that might not have been playing normally So I'm excited, this has become a staple now uh, And that's what G said We're going to look at a couple of these pick fives every single week And then how about this week When we pull out the past performances for Wednesday Not only do we get that that great late pick five to look at But we have an all stakes pick four On a Wednesday evening Which is really, really cool We have some very nice horses running So uh, Dave, let's get on over to Canterbury for Wednesday Let's get those past performances out We start with the stakes races in race number three So we get started with an all stakes pick four here Races three, four, five, and six, and then in race number six, you get the start of that late pick five with just that ten percent takeout. So we're gonna go through. Uh, you get the you get the Minnesota breads in races three through seven, uh, three, four, five, six, and then following that, a couple really strong competitive open races. I love this card. Yeah, the the Wednesday card is is absolutely loaded with. Like this is supposed to be one of like the showcase nights of the year for Canterbury when when they're putting together the schedule of the Fourth of July week. They do a big fireworks spectacular and they'll put twenty five thousand people at the track, and so this is supposed to be one of the highlights of that. We're obviously not not going to have that, but yeah, if getting into it like the when I when I think of the big nights at Canterbury and the big racing days, you think of Hall of Fame trainer Mac Robertson. He's a winning machine at Canterbury. He's had success around the country at other tracks. But when it comes to Minnesota and especially state bred Minnesota races, he Mac has a lock on these like no other. Like and he, he's loaded he, all and night. He's loaded. Too. He's loaded all night. As I was going through doing my picks, I'm like, oh my god, another Mac horse. Like <laughs> every race, yeah. Because like, it is. He, he's got he's got clientele and he's got horses, but he also gets them to perform. Which if you can get your good horses to run, then you just you just have to get creative on how you play them. Maybe you put stuff underneath or with other races, and that's what we're going to try to do. Gino, we're going to try to we're going to try to get people some money and try to play along and have some fun. Well, let's start in race number three, and one of the major players in this race is a Mac Robinson, and that's Defend the Rose. Looks like the two horses from the outside they'll probably take. The bulk of the money in here they, They've actually faced each other a couple times um, Last year and I believe they split decisions Against each other And it looks like Defend the Rose Maybe a little more speedy Rush hour traffic will sit a little bit But what's interesting Dave is they're both coming off of clunkers They both just missed the break Completely in their last start And they just did not really run well At all so we're expecting them To bounce back and they're they're very well spotted though to the outside. Um, it, it, tough to really knock either one of them. Yeah, tough tough to knock either. They were going to be my my top two picks in here. The the one thing for the listeners to know is Wednesday we are expecting some rain potentially at Can- like at Canterbury. So depending on how things go, like pay attention to where it is because it's like a fifty percent chance of rain all day. But with so Defend of the Rose is my top pick in my selection this, and it and it did it. He completely missed a break, or she completely missed a break. The other and then kind of rushed up. There was mm-hmm. but had to check twice. Like, so I know it says blocked at the one eighth. She came back, tried to fight in, got blocked, got blocked again, and was full of horse and just had enough things go wrong in a five and a half furlong race. If you have one thing go wrong, you might you might be able to overcome it. You have three things go wrong and Rip that ticket up. Yep, yep. Um, so I think that's going to be mine. I'm, I'm questionable on the wet track where rush hour traffic has at least the the win on the wet track. But yeah, the defender Kanchari Mac like Kanchari struggled for the last I would say six seven months. But it seemed like he started to get his groove back, and then he's been he's been moonlighting with Prairie Meadows and Canterbury, and I and he started winning at Prairie Meadows, and now that he's coming back for the big money races, I. 
I believe Kanchari is going to give defend the Rose the, the the victory circle. The rush hour traffic has its best performances on the wet track, so definitely on the wet track. I think we have to look at that. There was a couple of good workouts in there, but just the fact just never involved in that turf debut scared me. Yeah, like, that, like, you want to see a little bit more. Yeah, it was just a squeeze back at the start behind, but just never got into it. Normally, when horses, even if he finishes, if she finishes dead last, but she makes like a slight middle move into it and then fades. But I agree with you; it was a little disappointing because he just saw nothing. Yeah, just nothing, and that's and that's tough, especially if somebody's going to go real short in there, and maybe you're going to try to play against defend the rose. It's just you have to hope that that was a that was just not how it's going to be, and that horse is going to fire back and. I don't know the, the other horses that I would like in there. The gray wave is, I think it's maybe it's got its work cut out. If maybe those two kill each other up front, gray wave can close into it. The hot is a pistol that Clinton Stewart has taken over some horses from Sandy Swear for the, the Berg's roots. And those horses have been firing. So I know that one was kind of, it got, was kind of in a speed duel clunker and just eventually faded away. Yeah. Got but, to but, shuffle back a little bit, but at least, at least she's got some speed and the blinks and second off and second time for the new connections. Yep. We're, we're 12 to one. If you're, if you're looking for a price, maybe trying to get away from the other ones, I, that one would be the price play. I would play in that race. Yeah. You mentioned gray wave who maybe, maybe gets the trip. If, if the, maybe the two outside horses hook up and you could see hot as a pistol and even uh Tim Jin lady and draw, there could be a situation where Four or five of these go real quick And then maybe it's Grey Wave Who sat behind or finished behind Rental Pool Who just came back to win a first level allowance the other day And then I I wish I, I guess I don't, I, I don't I'm not going to knock the five Timogen lady For showing speed I really loved her win She broke well She was involved in like a battle of five or six That all went for the lead She wins the battle She ends up drawing off late I'm just worried about how this is going to shape up With the, you know, with defend the rose to the outside. If she breaks well, it won't be easy for Temujin Lady. But I think there is a little ability there. I, I feel like the main horse in this race, the most important horse in this race, though, is defend the rose. You mentioned that brutal trip that she had, Dave. I mean, she really did. She missed the break, then she moved through. She tried like two or three different times trying to find a way, couldn't get into, couldn't get a, a seam into a tight spot, and just flat late after uh, nowhere to go. So she's the one to beat. I think I'll probably use five, six, seven, and maybe throw the five in on a couple tickets. And you mentioned Gray Wave. If you're going to single later on somewhere, maybe uh, you can throw Gray Wave in too, which I might. I might have yep. a single uh, coming up in the in the fourth in the next race. So, any anything else to mention in the third? Uh, I think that's probably about it for there. Yeah, yeah let's go. Let's go to race number. It. Yeah, race number four here, and uh, we'll start with the horse who will probably take a ton of money from the inside Mac Robinson again who Mac Robertson again who comes in from Oaklawn where you know you see some of these uh, these Oaklawn races and that's one thing we've noticed early on at Canterbury the horses that come in from Oaklawn not only are they facing t- horses on you know a little bit tougher circuit but those Oaklawn races in particular this year when a lot of the other racetracks were shut down they were two or three times as deep and as tough as the normal Oaklawn races so i mean you see a horse like Happy Hour Cowboy who just hooked no Parole who came right out of that race to win A graded stakes and look impressive at Belmont Yeah the happy hour cowboy Doing that like yeah like you said about Oakland Like there's people who were maybe pointing Towards Keeneland who had to Like abort those plans and then they Shipped their stuff to Oakland instead And so that Oakland the entire meet Was absolutely loaded and full fields And that that was a lot of fun It it was tough but it was fun 
and that's yeah, the happy hour cowboy racing down there. I'm you, you know to the no parole. So I have that on one of my notes for yeah, last week we saw that horse uh, and the Woody Stevens put on a show of and the works going up to it. So yeah, that's gonna be like I'm trying to get to plays, I think, later on in the card here, but the the one happy hour cowboy for Bob Lindgren is a homebred for them. This horse last year against Minbreds, like it lost right away and then then it won twice. I think this horse is working to come back since the Oaklawn. This one's going to be coming back and should be primed for a big effort here. Kanchari again, he's going to try to be the double on mine, on my ticket. So I'm if I go potentially go that Mac horse, Mac horse is how I'm going to start here. The horse that I'm kind of I keep toying around with, Gino is number seven, Lil Ninja. Yeah, yeah. Like I, like there's there's, there's more other, there. There's more there than what it is. Mm-hmm. So I like I keep kind of coming back to that of like. What happens if this horse actually is ready to fire? Like it in its debut, it beat Big Falcon Rocket. What did Big Falcon Rocket do? It beat Happy Happy Hour Honey. And like so, all right. Well, I'm, well, he w- beat the one, or she beat the one who could beat the other. Like why maybe fires a year again? Like, and what I, what I like about Little Ninja too, and I'm gonna use in in a couple. I'm gonna use in my exotics is. So you race in June of 2019. You're super impressive, and then something goes wrong because you don't come back till September, and you're you're okay. And then again, you don't race from September to June. And now that he's got that race under his belt, he has the opportunity to be a lot more fit. This is really the first time he's ever going to be able to put two starts together. He showed some speed. He was in between horses, and then he got shuffled back. He lost a few lengths, and he couldn't re rally. But I'm with you. It's I kept looking towards him, knowing that there's just more. Maybe he doesn't show it on Wednesday night, but one of these days, I think you're going to get a big effort from Little Ninja. And if you're going to get five or six to one, I think he's worthy of some inclusion in there. Yep, I think definitely as a player, and especially if the win was on the slop. So if the track does come up wet, that's definitely one I think to keep in there. Of all right, it might be might be six to one on the morning line, but maybe should be more three to one. I'm because I'm not really a fan of the the two. I just. We'll see on that. I know Cody that Cody Rosen has taken over some horses, but this one last year when a success here in Minnesota was Joe Sharp. So we'll see. Now Sharp is not here at the track this year. So yeah, Cody Rosen taking that over. I just don't know what that one's going to be. The weekend ride, the three horse had to grind away in that same race against Lil Ninja uh, a couple weeks ago. Kind of just hung out wide. Was was effective in the first race off the the year long layoff, but. I don't know. It just was, was that what that horse was? It just, it's a, it's a good horse. Nothing like special, special. Is it going to, is it going to elevate even further than that? So I'm I'm going to avoid, I think I'm going to avoid the two and three. I'm going to press heavy on the one with some backups on the seven. And then, yeah, that was, I, I was trying to make cases for some of the other ones in here, Gino. I just I couldn't I don't get know there. If you're seeing nope. anything? I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm, I couldn't. Nope. I think you you hit the you hit the four horses to use. And for me, I'm gonna probably go one threes and sevens in some of my tickets. Those combinations, I'm I'm okay taking a swing against the two public safety. I want to see a little bit more from this one. I, I think you kind of hit it with weekend ride too. And and I, I think that it's almost why I can't really leave him out is that. If he just runs back to that race And even if it's not in a race where he improves a lot Maybe Happy Hour Cowboy is is You know, he needs a race for his best Because he hasn't run in a few months And it, it might just be weekend ride being an okay thing In a race where 
Um, there are horses that might need more So that's why I want to use the three I want to use the seven And I think the one you have to So I'm one, three, seven I think in some of the pick fours Yep, I I, I think that's where it's going to go through And you build off Mac And you go heavy there And then you slowly Maybe have some backup tickets With the other ones involved And and if try to catch a couple Maybe yes. Otherwise you press hard yeah, exactly. And and some race, some some sequences we look at it's it's chalky. We press them. We we play them, you know, short and then a few times there and we get to race number 5. This is a really nice animal too, ready to run away who has just gotten really really sharp. I think Matt claimed this one for 25,000 and has uh, won a couple stakes races, but the the issue here is this is going to be on the turf Unless it's raining, unless it's off the grass and In which case I think it would be an even better spot For a horse like Ready to Run Away But when you have a horse trying the grass for the first time You always do have to take note Yeah, and I was At first I was like, ah, oh, the distance might be a question But then you look back and there are two turn wins Last year in mm-hmm. Safe Rides So has been able to do that Talk about a nice nice little claim by Mac There last year when I think 25,000 25,000 has yeah. turned into a pretty hefty paycheck that that horse is that horse has led to or yeah 240,000 where she's Excellent. at right now. Yep. Uh so I, ready to run with best horse in the race but it's how's it going to the turf is going to be the big question there. Like there's a bunch of horses in in this these next two races that are it's kind of just a cluster of them and you can make cases of like they're dirt sprinters and they're maybe longer on turf and they're trying different stuff. This mile turf race is going to be an incredible race and pretty fun. If somebody has like a strong thought on these next two races and maybe can spread an attack against the horses that we liked in those first two legs, you might be able to find yourself and put together a pretty healthy ticket. Um, So yeah, the, I'm going to go out here. I'm going outside here, Gino. We're going. We're going Maywood Hope. I'm gonna nice one of my I'm, top three. I like it. Yep. I, I'm swinging out there. So Loveberry, Loveberry is four for twelve on the Canterbury turf. He so he's got five wins so far at Canterbury, but four of them have been on the turf. He he seems to have a really good handle for this turf course, along with Tony Ringsdorf, who's been as the, as the trainer who's been on fire to start the season at Canterbury. So this horse, being that it's it's had five turf tries, it's finished all five times. It's finished in the exacta. I'm I'm willing I'm willing to say, all right, this one might be ready to fire again. The, the last race for Maywood Hope, it took on open, so it left state bread and took on open and and closed down one. It, I'll admit, killed one of my tickets that day. I did not have it thinking off the layoff. It wasn't going to be ready. It came back fired. I am not going to let that happen again. And with the questions I have about ready to runway runaways turf, how how is she going to take to it? I'm willing to try to f- play against it here. Uh, the other one I think I can make a case for is clickbait. It's the source showed a lot last year at Canterbury, and then at Oakland, sure didn't embarrass no embarrass herself. And now, so a four year old here, Dean Butler Max gives it to Dean. I think Dean's going to try to get this. I believe this horse has scratched out of two prior races at Canterbury this year so yes, far. Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. So, all right, if 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 they chose this spot and this is a spot ready to go, it all all guns forward on that one. Where I would not be afraid of going short in here, and maybe just using the one the one and the eight and seeing what happens. Yeah. If it, granted, if it comes off, then I do. If the main track only the two, if it comes off, I think the two. Clint Stewart, that's kind of that same angle earlier. We're taking the horse off of Swear, and he seemed to improve them. 
I think the two, the two's one and one and good before. I think two at the distance in the in the in the wet conditions could be all right. You, you hit the eight, uh, Maywood Hope. I'm glad you did, because if you look at the way this race could shape up on paper, as far from early speed, I mean, clickbait from the rail is probably going to be flashing some early speed. We know Ready to Runaway is going to be there. First Hunter is not exactly slow. Carriage has some speed going longer. Aria Gia is going to be flying Honey Socks Appeal towards the outside Has a little speed if they want to show it They could be going really quick It could set up nicely for Maywood Hope I'm going to use the 8 on a, a lot of my tickets I will use the the 3 Ready to want to run away on most The horse that I think is a big bust out long shot I'll, I'll give a shot to too Is the 5, First Mate So First Mate has only tried the grass one time And in that race defeated Honey Socks Appeal And First Hunter And I think first mate is just worth giving another shot on the grass here. She got her prep race out of the way, and I think because she got beat by you know eight lengths by ready to run away last time out, some folks might dismiss her a little bit. But remember, that was just the first start for the new connections. That was the first start since September, and she's going to take a shot on the grass here, where you know she ran the best race of her career on the grass, going seven and a half furlongs right here over this turf course at Canterbury. I think first mate is worth throwing into your exotics. You mentioned the eight Maywood Hope. I'm glad you did. I really have no knocks on the one clickbait from the inside. I think we feel pretty similar about this race with uh, with probably combinations of maybe those four horses. And, and I guess even like carriage, like <laughs> the six horse, another 15 to one horse. Like last year, Canterbury Turf, this horse seemed to figure out its mojo and find out how to run on that. And it's based had, open had company, race, the last two starts company. Like yep. you, you can make, if somebody wants to play against ready to run away here and hit the all button, I, I definitely won't fault them for that because you, you can make cases for a bunch of the horses in here. Yes. The horse that I struggle the most probably is just REG of the seven is just, I, I think that she is more of just the sprinter to the dirt sprinter. And I just mm-hmm. don't know if she's going to take to this. Especially with the distance, even on the turf or off the turf, I, I think the seven is the one that I would not use. But you can make case for everything else. Even heck, the four first hunter. This horse has had Canterbury success and won some big races at Canterbury. And I, I probably won't use first hunter, but you, you won't. I wouldn't fault anybody yeah, for using. The one who's first coming hunter. out of the open races too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're facing open company. The last four starts was facing open company down at Turf Paradise, and those races, like those little Turf Paradise handicaps, come up really tough because you get a lot of SoCal horses that ship over from those really strong uh, and some of the stronger grass races. I completely agree in that. Looking at the way the sequence and races three, four, and five had set up in the pick four, this one feels like the one where you of the of the favorites in the first couple, I would be less likely to take swings against them. And I have no knocks on ready to run away, but it's just as you said, going long on the grass with another speed in here. This feels like a, a more vulnerable favorite than the first couple races. Yep, I think if you're trying to survive the first two in order to get your swings and races five and six, that I would have no faults with that. I think mm-hmm. that's the way it's going to go. And we get and, to and go ahead. If ready, to, if ready, ready to run away wins, then so be it. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my chance that maybe this just isn't the time. Yep, and you can't play chalk, 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 chalk all the way through and expect to make a lot of money unless you're literally gonna single all the way through. And it's the thing: yep. if you don't like a horse at eight to five in that spot, just move on. You're gonna, you're gonna find other horses at eight to five that you'll like better. <laughs> I, I can promise you that. So um, yeah, let's get to race number six here. This is the start of the late pick five. It's the end of the early pick four sequence. 
And as you uh, mentioned before, I thought this was another one where you you look at a few other price horses that you can that you can use. Mister Jägermeister is the name that we know, but turf isn't necessarily his game. He would be one that would be major upgraded if this race was taken off the grass. Hotshot Kid is another one who. Has been fine on the grass But he's not necessarily been that. That's not his game Most of his work has done You know been on the main track So again where you can make some You know cases against some of the short price horses In this field Yeah you can, you can make cases And yeah look at Hotshot Kid and Jägermeister They're both Minnesota breads Who've won over $550,000 Which is a, is a heck of a number That these two for longevity Have been able to keep plucking around and keep picking up the big paychecks. Uh, so I, this is another one. I, I am going, I am zigging when others are going to zag here. I'm going, I'm going with these both Ringsdorf horses. I, I can make cases for them. Drop a golden sun. I, we're, I think we're same we, here too. <laughs> really? Yep, Look at yep. this. Yeah. We, America. We did not talk about this prior. We didn't is, discuss it at all. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we found kind of the same. So I want to, I'll hear your angles here, but yeah, drop a golden sun, I think is going to be primed with, with Rye and Eichelberry getting the call. And then Tuco Bay, like this horse, this horse kind of grinds. And it, I believe this is going to be its best shot. This won't beat hotshot kid and Jägermeister going shorter on the dirt, but you know what? This race isn't shorter on the dirt. It's longer on the turf. And I, I believe maybe plays into its game. It'll get Loveberry again. So maybe if the, if it goes the Loveberry double in races five and six, I will not argue that. So yeah, no. I'm going to, I'm going to swing against the, the, the big, the big boys there. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with those two on top and, I, I can see weird stuff happen. I I don't know, like, for the people who look at AP is loose and see that and the success. It's been a 22 of 25 times it's hit the win place or show at Canterbury. I just, I don't think they were planning on running that horse again this year. And then they had a change of foot. I think last year was supposed to be it. And so they're bringing it back for maybe one last hurrah. And I, I just don't know. I You'll see Mac and you'll see Dean and how we've been saying – Mac Robertson, Mac Robertson, Mac Robertson. I just don't know if this is the horse here that you that you you want to play the Mac. So I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go outside with those Ringsdorf horses. I, I for some reason I just keep kind of coming back to that drop of Golden Sun and seeing ah this horse on on the turf. It's it's had life. It's it's lo- it's lost to some all right horses. It's ran good races. It's it, maybe it's gonna sit right off a of Jägermeister and try to pounce when maybe Jägermeister's not gonna want that last furlong. Maybe. Drop a golden sun can pounce, and yeah, who knows what Tuco Bay? I, I think ready as well. I, I feel the, the very similar in that. What I like about the Rangsdorf, uh, the Rangsdorf horses in this spot is that they they very well complement each other with their running styles too. So I'd imagine that the game plan has got to be with Eckleberry. Okay, let's get aggressive with Drop of Golden Sun, and we'll either be right on the lead, or if anybody else goes, we can sit right behind them. This is a horse who showed legitimate sprint speed, going sub forty five. Six and a half furlongs last time out And we've seen the horse had success Going longer on the grass also I have no issue using drop of golden sun In all of your exotics I have picked second right behind Tuco Bay And the real key for me is Going back to that July 3rd race Where Tuco Bay raced against Hotshot Kid and AP is loose And ran really well Was only beaten three quarters of a length And had legitimate trouble that day Was inside, was mid-pack Kind of had to wait for room Didn't have the smoothest of journeys and I think any looking at that race when they hooked up against each other on the grass, 
Any improvement at all for Tuco Bay with this new barn now, second off the bench, was chasing a speed horse last time going along on the on the dirt. I think there are plenty of things to like about the ten Tuco Bay. We feel very similar in that. I'm I'm okay, you know, looking at those two going eight ten. I do think the ten's gonna get bet a little bit. Um uh, yeah. probably more like four or five to one, I think. But but in a race like this, everybody knows Mr. Jaegermeister, everybody knows Hot Shot Kid. So those two horses are gonna take a lot of money. Yeah, the, the the favorites I believe are going to take money. I don't I don't know about the the odds on Tugel Bay. They're, I don't know if it's going to be down to four to one. Six yeah, to one, you're maybe. right because it maybe I, yeah because maybe they're 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 going to take their money those two and they're going to get bet because they're the name. So we should get great prices on on Drop of Golden Sun Tugel Bay and this could be that separator race in the last leg of the pick four and in the start of the pick five. So this is a pivotal race for. Those of us playing the exotics on Wednesday night at Canterbury, we want to make sure we get this one right so we can connect on that early pick four, that stakes pick four, the middle one, and, and then we can start this late pick five with a really nice price. Uh, yeah, let's get, yeah, go ahead. With a, with a pick, the early pick four, the pick six, the jackpot pick six is included on this. The start of the take pick five, like yeah, everything. People, people want to hunker down and race six. It's gonna be it's gonna be a big swear on how people's nights are gonna go. So race number seven is a group of uh, Minnesota Reds, Phillies, and Mayors, three-year-olds and up. And Miss Kayla Time, she's been really good in all of her starts for Mac Robinson. I think she's probably the one to beat from the rail in here. She had a really nice return to the races, and she just couldn't get to a horse who just drew off and was impressive. But there are, I mean, the three is a first-time starter that looks very, very live. The five would be no shock, who had a little bit of a troubled trip. I thought the the eight and the nine both are very logical in, in this spot. So I didn't think this was the easiest race in the world. You didn't even use. You didn't even talk about your horse, the Nate, the styling and profile. Woo! Woo! Yeah, a little trouble. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I I see that horse suddenly going woo as all the horses are running by. But yeah. um, <laughs> so one thing I think to, to keep an eye on. So I, I like the one here, Miss Kila time, because yeah, it just not the greatest trip. I think giving it back to Dean Butler is going to be. I, I think he's Max Steady Hand. I think the key. Remember it to Mujan Lady the. We, we've got that one running earlier in the pick mm-hmm. in the pick four sequence. If that horse runs big in that race, really, then I think that's going to be decide on what I'm going to do with the one here. Because Absolutely. if that horse runs big, then that what that race was extremely live at, with that happening. So depending how Tumusian Lady runs, like then I'm going to that's going to determine how well I play the one. And what's nice uh, is that's before the pick five. Yep. So we'll have an idea. Once the pick five starts, we'll know and we'll get an idea. So maybe then we end up because I think I'm with, I'm you know I generally play a couple tickets. I usually play like two or even three, like in a couple small different approaches. And on one of them, I probably will end up singling Miss Kayla time. I do think you can go, you know, three, five, eight would be my other like next next tier of horses. But as you said, if that race comes back good and she's been good in all of her starts, she has had legitimate excuses for not winning too. So I, just a better trip. She probably gets the job done. Yep, better trip. Just gets it done. Like, <laughs> I guess the comfort is Tacitus, right? Just maybe the horse is all, maybe just yeah. all, and granted, it's a completely different level, but maybe just always finds problems because it just finds problems. Right. And it's just It's just not meant to win. And it's meant to run second and third and run hard and have an excuse. Uh, yeah, the Mac horses are all going to be extremely tough in here. The the one I know the nine has sh- showed speed on its debut this year and has showed speed. I just don't know about the distance on it. That's the one that me too. yeah, 
the one that I kind of get teased around is the, the six silver piece. If anybody's looking for a price, sure. That horse out of that same race where we've been keep going back to, and that horse is right next to Jerusian Lady, and just it was in the mix, and then eventually just gave in. And that's a so, tough race because they they really did line up that race. So if you were a first time starter and you're showing some speed, and then you look, there's three or four other horses battling with you right away. That's just not the easiest way to to, to debut in your first start. Yeah, there's and some got out of there and continued on, and some maybe just freaked him out a little bit. So I. I might be 20 to one on there, but definitely I think as usual, if somebody's looking to go multiple horses deep and trying to maybe beat one of the back runners, I, I would, the sober piece six, I, I definitely can see that being, being maybe one of the price plays in there. I just, it seems like every night in the strict five, there's some price that comes in that you just maybe don't see it coming. And maybe, maybe that ends up being it here. Everybody, the Mac horses get too much respect and then you can find something to, to go against it. Yeah, the, the three, the first timer, uh, the dam of this one, classic threat, was four for six, was a multiple stakes winner. She's produced 11 fulls, 10 of them are winners, eight of them are multiple winners, and they've all combined for over a million in earnings. And this horse is training well, and they get Kinchari aboard for Mac. Uh, we talked a little bit about styling and profiling. She had a bad start. She got squeezed back. Then she moved right up onto the heels of a rival. She was tucked inside. She moved in between and then around. She had an eventful trip. That was, that was just her first start for the new barn and her first start since September. And then maybe Hunter's Hellcat, who was just beating a neck last time out and made a big, wide, late, sustained rally and just missed. And this was a filly who's actually faced open company a few times. And that was her first try against Minnesota Bread. So, um, yeah, we uh, we mentioned most uh, most in here, uh, but Miss Kayla Time does feel like the one the one to beat, no doubt about it. Wouldn't wouldn't be a race where I'm taking a shot against the favorite in any way, shape, or form. Let's move to race number eight. We're gonna go five furlongs on the turf. Optional claimers, twenty thousand non two. I thought the you know the the four, five, and the six are gonna take the the bulk of the money in here. You'd imagine. And these are a couple uh, a couple nice animals. The the four I think I prefer the most. I think she might be able to just run them right off their feet at five furlongs, and and that's why I think the five furlongs is the key. She loves this Canterbury turf course. She w- there is some speed with Full of Grace with Sassy Seneca. I just think she might be a little bit quicker. And if they're all in chase mode, they could be chasing a very very fast nice five year old mare. She can fly. Um, I mean, she, I, the race that jumps off the page to me is when I see Hot Shot Anna. That's a multiple graded stakes winner. And 50 Shades of Grace was right up in the mix with her battling and ended up finishing third that day. So um, for me, I'm going to kind of start with the four in here. No, I, that was, that was where I started as well. The only the thing that made me a little bit leery is just how I know Vale dropped it in for the tag down there at Turf Paradise. I agree. It just seems a little weird. Yeah. That and then bothered me a little regre- bit. Regressed maybe a little bit. Yeah. And so that, that gives me a little bit, but I don't know. Lindsay stays aboard. It's it's not like the horse has fallen off that much. No. And maybe just getting back to the five furlongs is just, like you said, going to just run them off the feet. The five, some say so, is going to be tough. This was one. So this horse had been had been really good and then kind of became a losing machine and just it, it was off. Well, Rosen got it back, and he was also the breeder of it. And I thought maybe what's the chance this is the pick five that I hit was the final leg with some say so. And okay. What's the chances that maybe like the human element comes in Gino and you get a little bit of TLC with the horse where, all right, it's this horse has been all around 
and it's finally back with the people who bred him yep. or bred her. And maybe something just clicks and that gets her back on track. And like sat a good, sat a good trip last time. And then just, and she should was, again, was right? Way too much. Yeah. And I, and I think totally should be, if the, if the four is not ready to go, I did like sassy Seneca, but three years old facing older might, might have its work cut out, but look at who's like who she competed against down there at Oakland, like Edgeway and Charming Lady. Like that was a good race and Legitimate definitely stakes n- animals. Yep. Yeah. Like nothing to be ashamed of with their one one at Canterbury last year, open company, easy, easy as can be, and has been working all right. And yeah, the Oakland form, like look at like Mac brought <laughs> Mac brought her back off of a six month layoff to be in a hundred and twenty thousand the Dixie Bell. And and she went off at four to one in there. Like, like there was. She's talented. She's talented. Oh, I, sure. I, well, so we'll see on this on how she actually takes to the turf. Well, not not really bred for turf, but I, I I think that one could be an option as well if somebody if somebody's looking for something else. Completely agree. I had four, five, seven, and eight as as to include. I'm a little concerned with the one from the rail going five furlongs. I, I'm I'm not sure what kind of a trip she'll she'll work out. So for me, I'll probably play one ticket where I single the four, and maybe she runs them off their feet. I'll probably play another ticket where I go four, five, seven, and uh, and eight. I did think the eight was a little bit interesting as a, a horse who can. You know, can maybe could come from the clouds. You don't see any turf form on her page, but she actually has some decent turf form. She's over her last ten, but her last win was on the grass. So maybe again, getting back to the grass for a horse who's been on the dirt, and she's been on the dirt facing some good some good horses. She lost to a horse named uh, Country Dream, who's won three in a row, and then prior to that, Flat Out and Foxy beat Open Sixteen Claimers next out at at Oakland Park. So maybe the eight as a as a one to to throw in. So I'll go four on one ticket and then four, five, seven, eight on another. And especially right, like the wet success there. If, if the track comes up wet, this is another one that you have to absolutely to look at. But, so if anybody's looking for a sneak, like maybe something sneaky and a bigger price, the three Simran. This horse was injured last year and was out, but the success this one had in 2018 was this horse was really good and granted Minnesota bred and I believe probably wants dirt maybe a little bit longer, but if it comes off horses working good, the, the trainer, uh, I'm not even going to say it, but <laughs> the, the, the trainer, it's, it's a real small stable where it only has one to two to three horses. So like where other horses maybe get lost in the shuffle and they're just one of the group. This, this horse is this person's like Life, livelihood everything, and, yeah. and they're going to, if it's if the horse is ready to run, it's it looks like it's finally healthy. I I believe this one maybe in the bottom. If somebody's playing like exact or trifecta, and you're looking for a price underneath, I I I think this one might be running at the end. That's uh, the number three Simran. We move Simran. To Simran. We move to race number nine on Wednesday over at Canterbury, and we again go optional twenties, non twos. This one will be six furlongs on the dirt course in here. Um, I couldn't. I guess I couldn't get too cute in here. I thought the four and the seven were were going to be pretty tough. We're we're going to start to see the Diodoro horses show up now. I think in bulk, and they're going to start to run really well. This one had some trouble in his first start at Canterbury when he came back to Canterbury on June the 11th. He's a slow start. He chased a wire to wire winner. He kind of got stuck in some traffic. He finally got room late, and he just missed. And then Trapalonda just loves to win races. I had a hard time getting past those two. 
I'm I'm with you on the I, I'm all over the deal horse. The deal horse is my top pick there, and I might probably end up soloing on one ticket. That yeah, Travelando is is a winning machine. The other horse I to watch out for is the five Sermon sure. by the Sea. Yep, there was a horse Sean Davis only three. He's five entries at the track so far this year, but he's got three wins. He had a horse last week that was kind of a similar pattern to this, where it struggled early in its career and then got hot at the end of last year. That horse may have had one race coming back a few months ago, but had some crazy fast works. And then that horse just ran everybody off their toes and just and won by five. And this horse kind of is similar to that, where, all right, let's, Let's see what he has. I know the thought really highly of this one last year of this thing was active and it just, it took a few starts for it to finally show it. And now that this thing is working and ready to go again, if, if, if the deal loses, I believe it's going to be by the five. Sermon by the sea, maybe yep. just running them off their the feet. Sea. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So for me, I I'm, I'm star- king of the court. I'll give Trapaland looks on others. And now maybe I have to throw in your, uh, your sermon by the sea who uh, can come back firing off the bench. Let's close things out on the Wednesday card Six and a half furlongs These are 4,000 beaten claimers Which have not won a race in 2020 Or never won four I got a little a little crazy in here With a couple um, I I thought the four Oh brother Jack Who came back to the races at Canterbury On June the 16th He hadn't raced since February And, and his races right before at Turf Paradise They weren't great But he had some trouble on February the 24th on February the 9th It was his first start in 10 months It was a race that he had to need When you go back to last year At the end of, uh, you know, in 2019 When he was racing at the end of his year Which was really only March and April Towards the end, I think you can make excuses for them too So he feels like he he fits pretty well in this spot I don't know if this is the distance that he wants Or this is the trip that he wants But as a, as a price horse, if they go quick early I think I could see him come, come fly in I can also use the one Peacock Cowboy sending hard from the rail Maybe a little speed there um, I do think the Diodoro horse who loves This track, Great Sky, is live Those are some that I start with Who are some of the horses that you need in here? Nope, so I, I, I'm with you on the I'm with you on the four, I looked at the one a little bit Alonzo uh, Quinones has made his way To Canterbury and he said he, He's brought in some prices and But he's mainly done that for Tim Padilla I think is who he's been having a success with so I kind of shied away from there. I thought the two uh, blue eclipse five to two. I'm not. It's not like I'm pointing at anything crazy there, but this horse was very competitive in the Minnesota main special weights last year, and then then seemed to pick up its find its vibe and win towards the end of the year, and then raced a cheap Delta Downs level and won, and then took on some open company, and then came back here to Minnesota and was. Six to one in a in a race that we've picked a couple horses out of, so I think the major drop down. I think the horses. I think the horse can run. I think they're daring people to take it at sixty two fifty, but they're just trying to they're trying to get the check. Um, and it's definitely like this. This field isn't a bunch of world beaters. So no. maybe maybe we're looking at it of all right. Let's win. Let's get our let's get our share of the purse, and then maybe get claimed for sixty two fifty and move on to something else. Uh, so. I thought the two is definitely yeah the four like you said uh, can't argue with any of your takes on that. And then yeah the the Mac horse, uh, the seven Great Sky is going to be should should be tough. You just don't know 
like like the Mac off the layoff, like Mac or Dio. I mean, Dio, Dio. off the layoff. Yeah. Like it's not one of his strong points. Like, no, no. They, and that's a good point. Days, like it, like the Dio horses seem like they, they chug along and they win every two or three weeks and they just kind of stay on that cycle. That's a good where, point. That is a good point. They, they get better with the races months. under their belt. Yeah. Like, so I, yeah, it's dropping down, but all right, is this thing going to be ready to fire? It's probably, is it going to be over bet? Of course it will. Like seven to two, it'll probably end up being two to one, five to two. Yep. But I may, may can play against it here. And if, if, if you're alive in the pick five on this, like as we've been going through the sequence, like, right, there's, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be it's tough to easy. be alive at this point. Yeah. And it's in, it's good. It's got to hit four figures for a payout on this for, for sure. I think so. I mean, you look at the nine. Dad's a gambler who's going to be one of those middle tricky price horses. Six and a half could be much better for him. This could be a better, like he came running like last time. Six seems a little short for him. Six and a half could be even better. Um, he could be running late. So, yeah, I, I thought this this was a good race and a really good Wednesday card. I, I You got the stakes races early. And then we got some of these open races later in the card with the late pick five with, with 10% takeout. So, all throughout the card, I mean, Really pumped up because th- this is what we want In a racing card we w- we want Some quality and then we want some Deep betting fields where we see vulnerable Favorites I think we get all of that on Wednesday Night yep that's It's it's gonna be a fun card and uh, Like if you can if you can Hit things it's gonna pay is my my Belief is you, you maybe Accumulate the money earlier and you and the Swing away late Okay, Dave, I'm going to take a pause on this real quick And then we're going to we're going to head on over to Thursday And go through that Thursday sequence So, folks, sure. uh, there will be more Wednesday racing From different racetracks And then later on in the show We'll have all the Thursday stuff That you can tune to for Canterbury So we'll, go to, we'll head on over there right now Don't go anywhere okay. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast Is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if, like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? 
Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Let's get your Thursday racing set up. Belmont Park. Let's go for Thursday to Belmont and get your past performances out for July the 2nd. We're going to go to race number two. It's going to be the sixth honorable hero who's just going to go second off the bench, who's going to stretch back out. And let's look at the last two starts. I think you can excuse those races. They're both going six furlongs on the turf. He's just a little bit better when he's going longer. On November, that race was the one that sent him to the bench for a while. The June race was the first start he had since November. I think you can make legitimate excuses for the both of those. Honorable hero is a horse who has a victory over a horse who's going to, in this field, nuts for bolts to the outside, who's going to take a ton of money. Uh, catch a cab will also take money. Let's make sure to use Honorable Hero in all of your exotics. Put a win wager on this guy if we can get around 9-2. to two. Let's go to the fourth race at Belmont Park. Let's go to the sixth Wicked Title who adds the blinkers in here. That May 17th race at Churchill against the 50 non-twos. I mean, just something like that. Would, would go a long way against this group. So with the blinkers going on, she's going to go third start off the long layoff now. I wouldn't be shocked if they get a little aggressive with her and they try to have her sitting real close to it. She feels like one of the better horses in here. That's the sixth wicked title. Maybe even a horse to single in some of the early exotics if we can get anything over around two to one. Let's get you to race number six. It's actually the start of a late pick four sequence. I think we can play a, a, a little ticket here. The... The two life changer has an opportunity to go gate to wire in race number six. I think you have to use him. The eight, Villainous. His races are a little bit better than they look on paper. He's going to come closing. I don't think he has to be as far out of it as it looks. And he's hooked some tough customers. Uh, Rushy, Tyshawn, Silver Prospector all showed up and ran you know, really, really well the days that he ran into them. So Villainous, make sure to use him. The seven, Creed, absolutely a must use. Two, seven, eight there with the two... Life changer as the top selection. If we can get around five to two, we'll make a win wager. In the seventh, I think we can go two, three, eight in here. Sniper shot, very logical, done nothing wrong in his career. I like wait for it on the uh, the slight turn back in here. Gets away from senior investment. Should have a little bit more punch today. Hopefully he can sit close. Wait for it. We'll swing against complexity. Grade one winner who's going to be making his return to the races in here. You also have win, win, win who was in the Kentucky Derby in 2019. We have grade three winner Nicodemus in here. We have Spinoff, who is, uh, you know, graded stakes placed and who was also in the Derby in 2019. I think we can get out of this race using the two, three, and the eight. Now, you don't even forget about no dozing graded stakes winner. This is a tough tough group grade one winner discreet lover from the rail we forget about him because you know, we haven't seen him around in quite some time a strong strong group let's try to get out of it with two three and eight in race number seven in the eighth race the 155 is the horse to beat if you want a single 55 i'm i'm fine with it i'm just trying to find who could get the lead in here is it war canoe and i'm i'm thinking it might be classic lady 
Maybe they can get a little aggressive. Joel can send for the new connections first time for Clement. Maybe you're a little fresh, haven't raced since November. Let's go with Classic Lady, hopefully getting an opportunity to sit really close and maybe trying to steal this group. The 155, I think you have to use in your pick fours or in, in any exotics. And then the spread out race to me is race number nine. I think you use the one. I think you use the two. I think you use the six, the first time starter. I thought the 10, 11, and 12, Central Capital with the blinks on. Payne, who probably has the best race of anyone on the grass, and then missing the mark. So I would play a pick four, 278, with 238, with 15, with 1, 2, 6, 10, 11, 12. That's Thursday. Over at Belmont Park Let's get you To Woodbine for Thursday Two plays for Woodbine Thursday uh, And you know Similar ideas with both of them Let's get to race number three Just looking at this race I don't see a whole ton of other speed Besides the two Make no mistake his last race, Her last race was good She stole a race going five furlongs on the synthetic She's proven on the grass She actually might even be better on the grass He's consistently either on the lead Or sitting very close to it And that's more than we can say for anyone else in this field Spring in the wind is the class No doubt about it she, If they send her and she's close She's probably going to be pretty tough in here I, I just think make no mistake Gets loose out front Make no mistake if we can get anything around 5-1 to one. We're going to make a win wager in race number 3 at Woodbine on Thursday And then we go to race number 7 at Woodbine on Thursday And it's it's similar you know, angle here with Rapid Beat Just hoping this is lone speed Look from the inside Gasconade, Station Rock, Meet Cute They don't look as quick Thanks again, Sandretti, Royal Furist Maybe from the outside can put a little pressure on Rapid Beat But this is a jock who has been successful Hernandez gets back aboard Has won aboard this one Wired a field going four and a half furlongs back in 2018 Just to show you how quick this guy is Rapid Beat You see a ton of ones He's gonna go And if nobody else goes He could be really really tough On the turn back in distance For a newborn who's plenty capable with new acquisitions And we know this guy is getting ready to show some speed Because he just had a nice work over at Penn That's the four Rapid beat in race number seven at Woodbine So in the third race, the two make no mistake If we can get around five to one In the seventh race, the four Rapid beat if we can get around seven to two Let's head to Indiana Grand For a couple plays for Thursday And let's get you to race number one I'm going to the four Oceanic in here his career debut was really good sprinting He was second in a massive field He was in the mix throughout Very, very good effort Came back, tried Churchill Tried older and stretched out So that's just not an easy thing to be doing You're stretching out for the first time You're trying a tougher circuit And you're going to be facing older After facing three-year-olds in your debut I think it was just a little too much to ask For Oceanic, who's now going to cut back We know that he likes this trip And that he sprints well Brazen is going to take some money Because Brazen is coming out of that Cezanne race Who is the really, really highly regarded Bob Baffert runner So you know this one's going to take money You know uh, Defied for Amos is going to take money The first time starter The Calhoun horse is going to also take some money from the inside I think you'll get a square price on Oceanic Anything over 7-2 to two feels fair And we'll make a win wager on the 4 Oceanic Let's get to race number 5 for our second play of the day And it's going to be the number 9 They're going a mile on the turf course in here And Princess Phone is going to be 
stretching out from seven furlongs to the mile and is going to be moving back to the turf. We've seen her on the grass a couple times. Both of those races were really good. She was third against a 50 allowance group at Churchill and was second beating a neck against 25 non-twos at Colonial when battling throughout. She's shown that she has speed and she's going to be close, but we know that she can sit and pass some horses. She comes out of a productive race where there were a couple of horses who came out of it to win next out. She's heading into a barn, the Barkley barn, who is really solid with their new acquisitions and they can absolutely win with a good animal. So two next out winners that came back to win 20 non twos at Churchill, both productive race. Now a newborn. She's heading to the grass where she's run. Well, she's drawn to the outside. She's probably the one to catch. She can sit off a little bit. If she has to, that's the number nine princess phone. Make sure to use her in all your exotics, make a win wager. If you can get around five to two in race number seven, it's going to be the number five as the play at Indiana Ground, that is Precious Peach I think maybe a horse you could single In some of your late exotics On October the 30th, two starts back There were three next out winners that day Lady Island is a 16 time winner A grade 3 winner next out She's won four of her She won four of her next five with the second The runner up that day Came back to win a small stakes next out The 6th place finisher came back to win a 16 non 3 Next out Precocious Peach is just in a great spot She's got speed, she can sit She's about as versatile as they come She just ran into a tough group Two starts back She was only beating a neck last time out If you put a line through that race on October the 30th Look how good the form is Go back in April 13th of 2019 Put a line through that race And then look how good her form is She just shows up and, and runs each and every time That's the five precocious peach Make sure to use her Maybe a single in your late exotics If we get around five to two We'll make a win wager Up next, we go back to Canterbury for Thursday, July the 2nd. Pick five with Dave one more time. Uh, We just talked the uh, pick five, though, this time races four through eight. Enjoy. Talking about Canterbury pick five for Thursday. Dave, so Thursday we get out to Canterbury, and it's just uh, your normal Canterbury card where the pick five starts in race four, correct? Yep, Canterbury card starts race four is when that's going to start. Like and that's six, six o'clock, so a little little supper action for everybody. A little pick five and uh, and some and some dinner. Um, let's get to that fourth race. Get your past performances out for July the second. Race number four begins with a five furlong turf sprint, and this was a. I mean, this when I, when I mapped out a couple of my tickets, I thought the sequence here was uh, was another really really difficult one. You, you mentioned they've been doing a good job of, I think, putting the races that might be a little chalkier even early in the card. And 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 these we've, we're getting the big fields and the real difficult races in the pick five sequence. Now, all that being said, we do get a nine to five favorite who who uh, is the morning line favorite to kick off this fourth race. She's never tried the grass, but she has faced some really tough company over at Oaklawn, and she was really really competitive in doing so. I mean, she was your beaten favorite at Oaklawn Park back on uh, April the 11th. She didn't run poorly that day. She was behind a next out winner, very impressive winner named Casual. So I think. We got to kind of start with her in that. How are we going to be using her? Or are we not going to be? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be using the the thing that I guess would give me a little bit of caution is just Chirnos is not one of Max' regular riders, but completely. Yeah, this horse was one to nine, and just completely missed the break and came came charging up, but was nowhere near the winner. So I. Yes, going to be using it, but not any sort of using it as all right. This is my single solo. standout. I, yep. Sure, 
Yep. The, the card's not going to go through this. I thought I thought the one, Gino, did you look at that one, Kelsey yep. Har? Yeah. Like, well, these connections, one with a horse like this the other day, they have a couple on this card, uh, on the Thursday card as well. I think it was a horse from the rail who came over from Oaklawn who was facing a little bit better against Claimers and ended up winning. So we know these connections can win, and they're probably not going to be be bet down when they do. Yep, they're the price should stay pretty fair. And that, yeah, that horse at Canterbury last year ran well. Like with with Kelsey, like I've kind of got her as two running styles where she just guns it and hopes to hang on, or she kind of does the big drops back and then the big good out wide and close. And this should be one of her. She's going to gun it from the inside, and just it's not the it's not a group of world beaters in here. And if the Mac horse struggles again. Maybe, maybe she just goes and get gets brave on the front end, and nothing else is with her, and then just goes and wins. I so that's where if when playing against the macros, I'm going to use the one. I thought the the four, yep. maybe the Denny horse, yep. uh, yep. Brinson. Yep. I thought maybe this horse, yes, a long work tab, fifteen to one, throws people off the scent a little bit. Like and here, so here's the thing about her, which is what I really like. Her damn Dolly Peach was an eight-time winner. She earned three hundred sixty-six thousand. She was a stakes winner. Was multiple stakes placed. And what I liked about her damn, her damn won on the dirt, one on the synthetic, one on the turf, and she was was beaten just a neck in her debut and won her second start. So that tells me that she was also precocious. And this is her first full. So we don't have a lot of information. These could be kind of the sneaky pedigree horses that you find. Then you talked about Brinson. The barn is very capable with first-time starters. You don't see a lot because it's, but but they don't have a ton of firsters. They're actually three for their last seventeen, but they're two for their last five. And those wins were at four to one and at twelve to one. So you get really nice prices. Yeah, there's good prices there. And all right, like, yeah, it's not the name recognition for some other people, but all right, well, screw name recognition. Just right? I want the result. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I, if if twelve to one's on the ticket, I don't care who the name is on mm-hmm. it. Just Give it to me. Me too. I'm. I, I have no discrimination names with jocks, tanners, anything. Big barn, small barn. For me, I'm more of a horse than the barn. And obviously, you know, you go back and forth. Um, the other couple horses. So, so yeah, I think you hit you hit some of the major horses. Some of the other ones, if you're going deeper, are spreading out. Obviously, the six Margarita Monday ran well over at Sam Houston on the grass. We'll see how that. Level would translate to this level it, Sometimes you never really know how they're gonna gonna Translate over um, The 9 is a little interesting She's a half to a horse named Starry Pursuit Who was 4 for 5 on the grass Was a multiple stakes winner I think she might be a little better on the grass I don't think she's good enough to maybe compete with this group So maybe she's like a Underneath for tries and supers And then Miss Sassy Attitude Who got hooked really wide on the turf In her turf debut last time out There might be a little more for her there For Mac um, any other horses in here to mention? Uh, no, I think yeah, you nailed that pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Litfin on that nine. He last year at Canterbury, he was it was not the year he was looking for. There was a lot of starts and a, not a lot of wins. Um, but he he started off. He's been a little bit warm here, and he won two, I believe, on Monday night. And the the one thing to know about this horse, if, if you're looking at playing it, it's so it's fifteen to one. Uh, the owners of it is the Canterbury Racing Club. So you might see extra win bets on that one and extra money in that one from the Canterbury club, mm-hmm. that Canterbury. It's a good like, point. Other tracks are starting to do it where they're putting together ownership groups, trying to get people involved for 150, 250 bucks. And 
so people can say they're a horse owner and see everything that goes into it. So 15 to 1, I think that'll probably be down a little bit just because if the owners are probably betting on their horse for their either keepsake or for their own yeah. knowledge, they're they're probably going to bet a little bit on that one. Good information. Good information. And, and a, a really fun start to the, the pick five in, in on Thursday in that five for long turf sprint. Let's yep. move to race number five, leg two of the sequence. Starts the late pick four. And it's a six furlong event for Minnesota bred maidens, three-year-olds and upwards The, yeah, I mean, this race should be spread around a little bit Banduria is going to take some money uh, Runaway Flash is going to take some money You'd imagine And He's Loose and Mr. D's Legend are both going to take a little bit of money I think you can get to a couple first-time starters that have some interesting pedigree info And interesting stuff to go towards So where do you start? I, I'm going with Banduria, but not overly strong. But I'm I'm going with Banduria. I've got I've got a I've got a stronger take later on and I'm in the card that I'm gonna kind of pointing towards. So I guess yeah, Banduria is gonna be my top pick here. Uh just the second start off the layoff, Bravo Eichelberry. Uh Bravo's uh, I believe it's his wife Lori owns it. Like this I think this horse is gonna come out ready to fire the the Finn Country, I think, is the horse that we've I've got a little bit pegged a little bit later on was a absolute machine. Um, so six six should be competitive here. Six should be good. Uh, if anybody's looking for a long shot, I thought maybe the number nine, Bogey Blue, uh, Tanner Tracy, not a, not a common name for a lot of people as the trainer, but Loveberry takes it. Uh, the, the owner owner is the same as the same as the breeder Joe Hunsberger. They've had some really good horses, and he has horses that. Fire kind of out of out of nowhere, and then they turn out to be pretty live runners. Where this one's at a long word tab, where a lot of these a lot of these minbreds maybe just started running about well, the last month, month and a half of training. Where this thing's been since February, steady walking yeah. away. So the ten to one, this thing might be ready to run. And if Bandura is not, I I don't really have any questions with the distance when it, when it's been training for five months at this, ready for waiting to start. I would believe the nine's probably going to be ready to go. If they've waited this long, they might as well make it count. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you, you nailed some of the other horses I like here. The, the And He's Loose, uh, the same breeders have AP is loose early on. Uh, it's Mac, but yeah, it's also Chirinos again. And I, I at some point, Chirinos is going to bring in like some monsters on this at Canterbury. He's, I believe, came from the Southwest Circuit, and he's hasn't had the greatest mounts, but he's been plucking away and getting thirds, second and thirds of getting, completing tries at like 25, 30 to one where he's, he's grinding away and he's, he's trying. So now that he's actually getting a little bit more ammo, I guess that he's riding along that maybe he's, maybe this is his big breakout on Thursday night when he's got the Mac horses, maybe this is his time to shine. He, he comes through and this leads to a big uh, summer for him. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. The six, yeah, I think, the ten, and then maybe those other ones. I think of the the two different race nights that we spoke about Wednesday and Thursday. This to me was like the most difficult race to get a feel for. I, I thought you could make cases for many, so I'm gonna maybe play one ticket where I even go all, and I have a single coming up a little later on that I'll I'll talk about. Because you mentioned and he's loose. They're gonna try the dirt for the first time. The dam one on the dirt and the half sib one on the dirt should be no issue trying the dirt. The five Bobby Boots. The uh, the dam of this one um, produced six foals. All of them are multiple wins. All six of them over a hundred thousand in earnings each. 
The barn is 9 for 38 with their first time starters A 24% clip with a 310 ROI It's very similar to what we are talking about with Brinson though With Richard, you don't see the numbers because they don't start a ton of them So you gotta dig a little to find them But they're very capable with first time starters Even the 8 The other Bravo horse in here, uh, Bubba Bob The damn one twice was a 2 for 9 Won the debut at Canterbury Was stakes placed Three siblings to race All of them are multiple winners That won on the dirt So You mentioned the nine Bogey Blue Whose dam was a winner And three foals uh, That she produced All of them winners I think this the first time starters Are a little sneaky I um, I think you can make cases For me- enough in here That to me This felt like a race Where I'm just gonna Probably buy it Press all On a, a ticket or two And hope I can get Maybe the five Or the eight Or the nine One of those bigger Bust out long shots to win Because I just think I thought this was one of the more difficult races For me to handicap In that fifth on Thursday Uh, As we move to the sixth on Thursday A horse that you've mentioned a few times Finn Country Who came off a layoff Had not raced from July of 2018 To June of 2020 Came back at the very same level too The Minnesota bred maiden special weight level And absolutely dusted a field Crushed them One by four lengths that day he was super impressive. Oh, super impressive. Yeah, that's my soul. I'm completely jumping on board. I'm drinking the juice. Just pump this horse into my veins. The, <laughs> the yeah, it's workouts down there at Remington. Like, you start seeing those, and it was 46, 46, and then, wait, 45? Like, yeah. like, like what? what? What were they doing? Like, this thing came back, whatever, it was out for the year. Like, whatever happened, like. It's recovered. This horse, maybe, maybe this horse is the the freak of Canterbury this summer, where it comes in and I I, I don't the ten to one morning line. I don't know why it really got set at ten to one, but I that maybe will scare some people away if they're quick playing it. But if anybody if anybody looks at it and they go, why what these works still are there? It's sprinting, break breaking from the rail. Like Gonzalez should have it in a decent spot to the then. Go away. I, I I think the source is it's gonna be the solo. It's ten to one. I'm not scared of soloing it here. Uh might back it up a little bit with something else depending how I'm feeling, but I'm really probably my night's gonna go through Finn Country. I, I, I really think it's gonna be good. Five and I thought maybe the uh I don't know. I guess I was I was looking for a price. What else is gonna maybe want there? But nothing else stands out. I thought maybe the five, the four, uh Maybe Dare Felix. This this is I don't know. This is a weaker field. Zoe's delight's going to take money. Go, went against Hotshot and Jagermeister, but it was kind of uh, how much do you take out of a race? Do you know that? Nah, I, when, I don't, when, it, when it was the when it, when it ran fifth and wasn't really a factor and well yeah, beaten. It, yeah, like I just. And right, she, well, she, or, I want to say, I want to say, see what uh, she with Zoe's delight, but it's a he. He is. Um, he he's the type of favorite that I don't like. I I, I like playing against because he's just not consistent. He's got a win and then he has not shown up at all. And yes, a lot of those races were against tougher, but you'd like to see just a little bit more. And we don't get that. The one, I'm going to use probably two horses in a lot of the, most of the exotics. The one Finn Country and the three go for gold. I think the the one Finn Country has an opportunity to from the rail just go and maybe he's just a different animal. And if he puts forth some something similar to that performance that he did on June 11th, I think he probably wins. If he doesn't, then I'm assuming it's because 
They went a little too quick early on Maybe Warrior Boss ends up pushing him Maybe Dare Felix ends up pushing him And then it sets up for a horse like Go for Gold Who came running last time out And what I liked about his race It's that Ray's Angel race that we've talked about a few different times And Go for Gold was mid-pack He was sixth He was about four or five lengths wide And he was in between horses And he was the only horse who made up any ground that day They basically went one, two all the way around the racetrack And so I like the fact that he closed in a race where nobody else really closed He ends up getting up for third The top two finishers were one, two all the way around Let's use the three, go for gold Let's use him with the one, Finn Country Those will be my two on a lot of my pick fives And I'm okay with taking the swings against Zoe's Delight I prefer some of the shorter priced horses in in other races no, I no argument there. I would say, yeah, just the one thing about the go for gold is, right, it, it's one win ever was in the 7,500 state bread. And he might be flavors. Yeah. And, and I, I just don't know. And this was, I think this was one of my examples with the cheer notes. Like, look at, yeah, 43 to one and finish third to complete yep. a try, like, opening. Can he opening progress night. now? Can yep. he take the next step forward with this horse and getting a little bit more distance? Should seem like it, but I, I agree with you in that. I don't know if he's good enough I just don't Nobody scares me in this race I, The one I think with the opportunity to run him off their feet I don't love the seven I've got major question marks about everybody else I like the fact that the three's got the And, and the one in particular They both have the recent races under their belt Which I think will be a, a major help Compared to the rest of this field So yeah Finn Country Going to be a big one for you uh, We'll all use go for gold in a lot of my exotics And this is going to be a pivotal race I think in the pick five Yep, I think very pivotal race because it depends on depends where people are going here and how it makes the rest of your ticket. Mm-hmm. I, like I'm going to take my stand there and take my ten to one and hopefully catch. I, I'm going to guess it's going to end up being three to one is where I think we're going to end up coming in on that. I I think it's going to take money because well, uh, there's nobody. I think another one else. thing is too. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot of other horses to really get excited about in the group. Yep, who are, who are you gonna who are you gonna fall in love with? Like that that horse has some stuff that you can fall in love with, and yes. I just I think it's gonna end up taking money. So we so, move to yeah, we move yeah. to race number seven. So, uh, two races left on that Thursday pick five sequence, five and a half furlongs. These are seventy five hundred dollar beaten claimers. Phillies and mares, three year olds and up, never won three or Minnesota bred non winners of four. Where do you start in the seventh? This race, I, I this is gonna end up being a spread race for me. Madison quarters probably is going to be pretty tough, but like off the, off the long layoff that, that she's off. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, it's tough to, tough to love her with that. The five is, should be pretty tough. The Arietta Stewart horse, um, Bergsrud again. So the same, I believe probably a relative of Finn country. That was also a Bergsrud with Stewart. So, Maybe maybe they're going to hammer the daily double, and it's going to be just the the one in the previous race and the five here. Uh, I but I also can make a case. I, I thought Fashion Rose, yeah, now, with, like, that's the price horse. I think that's the price horse. Okay, so yeah, I I don't know why why not like horse getting back to dirt. It, it's like last year they kind of seemed like they tried turf and they were going to go the turf route and they tried that again in Houston. And all right, back to the dirt. Back to what this thing was good at. This thing has had really good dirt form. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take my chance. Second, second race off the long layoff, and yeah, with my lifting stuff from earlier, we're fired a little bit this week. I, I think this one's going to be ready to go, adding weight. But oh well, like yeah. I, I think the very, very fair opportunity for a price. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'll probably end up being. 
I think I had three, four, five, six. Because the horses all end up using in here I'll just add distinct flirt to yours Because I think this is a good spot for her And she might fall into a really nice trip Maybe where she can sit just off Cutting back to five and a half And maybe a little more bottom on the cutback You mentioned the five who was on the inside And then got shuffled on the grass So I I think you can put a line right through that race And they claim for 5,000 And they step up and take a shot against uh, Against Tougher, against First Level Allowance Company and, and that doesn't work out, so what do you do? You you drop right back to a level that makes A lot of sense, and, and this level fits perfectly you, you, you mentioned Madison Quarters You mentioned Fashion Rose, yep Those are the four for me Yep, okay, yeah, let's, let's Gino, let's survive there and move They're, on and Exactly and hopefully, and hopefully we've caught some stuff here And we're and live to another price Yeah, this is kind of the same thing where The like the Wednesday night card, it was like, all right, if you can be alive to the end, you're looking at a payday. I really, I really see that kind of the same way as here as well. Both like, are difficult, yeah, yeah, really difficult. They're just because you look through the sequences and there aren't obvious singles. That's what makes the the pick fours, pick fives tough when there are not races where you think everyone's just going to take a stand with this horse, and that's the case in both of these nights. Even the races where you have some horses that are going to take money, like the first race we talked about, you know, of the stakes races, the outside two are going to, you know, on Wednesday, the outside two are going to take money, and then this race, the last night that we're going to, the last race that we're going to talk about between. Wednesday and Thursday You know the two runaway bet is going to take some money You know the four is going to take some money Right off the bat we got two barns Who have been you know been rivals at a lot of these Racetracks we're going to see some more of these Carl Broberg Horses start to ship in and this one Runaway bet he's very well spotted They claim for 16 then they tried Against tougher and You know okay 30 non twos is, That's a much tougher spot than this Now you can drop back you have some speed He's probably a horse who's tough to, to Just completely chuck out Cool Edge was a super impressive Eight-length winner there uh, Coastline Sermon was facing a lot tougher When we saw him and he had a, a Brutal start I think those three are probably The ones that'll take the bulk of the action In here Nope I I think you you nailed that with Who's going to take the action on it There's there's a couple I can throw out I really Like Harry the Hitman nah. uh, But like the takes on it The Broberg He wins end zone the Athletics they win at the they win these races. I know mm-hmm. they won a stakes race the other night, but yeah, this first claimed it for 16, put it up to 30, didn't win. Oh, well. And, and those, those Oakland races were pretty salty. Like yeah. that, those 30,000, that's, that's not no, you see market King in there. I think market King was big races last year. Setting the pace, I believe in the, in some big rig races. Yeah. So beat, beat campaign sky. Like who, who's the one horse where you can, I, I can make a case for campaign sky in there. Sure. Uh, but I yeah I I thought it was going to be between the Broger horse is going to take money I it's I probably the deserving top pick but Cool Edge all right well one Arietta that horse completely freaked last race like all right is it going to bounce off of that I I don't know but it it's not the strongest group here maybe maybe Arietta Diodoro he's he's got that one and it's and it's going to go strong I thought maybe I don't know the the Kelsey horse, the three Marshall Hill. That's my other horse. That's yep. the other horse. And that's my other like, one. It was, didn't take, never didn't get any respect down at Oakland with everything 50 to one or more in every race. But I don't know. She, she won, broke the maiden last year at Canterbury with it was relatively competitive. And even at Oakland, like that last race, the 8,000 running second, 55 to one. Okay. Well, and one win, small but, thing. And one little small thing I like about him too It's it's just something I'll notice sometimes in the past performances So Marshall Hill, when we look on February the 28th 
was fifth behind Super Terrific, who was third that day. What I like in just a couple starts later was actually able to outfinish that same Super Terrific. So even though the numbers and figures maybe don't show a ton of improvement, just visually knowing that this is a horse who actually was able to improve and get the better of a horse who just a few starts back had outfinished him, he can come running late and, and pick up some pieces if they do they go too quick early on. These are connections that we mentioned earlier. Um, I believe in the fourth race with the with the one and these two teamed up for a, a win already on the meet. And whenever they do team up, it's very rarely going to be at a short price. Yeah, very rarely short price. And yeah, Robert Klein, yeah, three starts at Canterbury and he's one, one, and one. Uh-huh. So uh, who knows? Maybe I'll get even crazy and yeah, solo the Finn Country in one and then play two separate tickets and solo Marshall Hill on one, yeah. finishing that or starting the other one with Dixie Nation. Hope that Kelsey and Klein get. Get one of those two runners into it, then I hit my solo, and then I can go deeper and spread. That's some a great of the other way legs. to play. Yeah, that's a great way to play. And then if and if you get all of your top horses, you're going to hit it two or three times. You know, if yep. your if your opinion comes back all the way, but then what it does is it gets, gives you the opportunity to spread out in those other legs. And then what you're doing when you're it's just good ticket structure because when you're singling a horse like a Marshall Hill or or any of the horses that you mentioned, when they're not the heavy heavy chalk singles, you know that your ticket is always going to be paying a little bit of money. It's always going to be paying well because if you hit it, you hit it with that horse, and it's not going to be hitting it with the four to five shot. Yep, exactly. Like, like there's people like horse racing. Every, everybody who's listening probably knows it's there's people who are good handicappers and there's people who are good ticket structures. But if you can't do one without the other, then you're kind of screwed, and you just have you have to try to figure out ways to ways to maximize your dollar. And all right, well, would would love to build the caveman ticket where you go deep, 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 but don't have the funds to do that. You have and, to, and you're going to get think smarter. Yeah, you get burned out quickly. You know, you lose two or three, two or three bad days. That happens. You know, and I notice when it happens is like when you when you win a lot of money, like you hit a big one and you got a lot in your bankroll or you got a lot on your accounts there, and then you'll play a couple tickets where you fire away. I'll do that, and that's what that's always like the the sign to me again why we handicap and not just gamble. Anybody can go five by five by five by five and try to throw some darts. The key is. Trying to you know make a, a lot out of a little That's why we're doing what we're doing Most people I'm sure that are playing Canterbury too They want to mess around with their Probably 30, 40, 50 dollar tickets they, They're probably not playing 500 dollar tickets I'd imagine So what what point what, what point is it for us To put up a 500 dollar ticket When it's not going to help anybody else out Let's try to handicap these races And uh, I think we did a good job both Wednesday and Thursday Narrowing things down Dave, I gotta, I gotta thank you a ton because we had the technical issues at the beginning. I told you we might have like thirty or forty-five minutes. It ended up being about two hours plus <laughs> with the, with the, you know, we ended up recording for about an hour between the two, and then with all the stuff we had to do before. So you were a great sport, man. I really appreciate it. Nope. Uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. I, I love doing it. It was great fun, Gino. I'd love to be back. I need to say happy birthday to my wife, who's awesome. Listening. Happy birthday. Yeah. Cool. So what, what are you doing for her tonight? Did you make some dinner? Any kind of I know that it's not the normal you can go out and do whatever you want on a birthday, but you got something planned? Uh nothing real planned here. Like if, if the weather dictates we like get to the lakes and just kind of kayak yeah. around and you nice. know enjoy it. And along with my or Canterbury, there's there's a chance we go we like end up out at Canterbury and I know last cool. last year or two years ago we got we got into the announcer booth with PA and he gave oh, a race nice. to her and Made made her feel like a queen. So nice. PA is awesome. He's another one. I'm glad you mentioned because we didn't talk a whole lot about him, but he is 
so Canterbury and he does such a great job and so much fun. I would love when I was covering the Thursday night races there on, on TVG and he would always have fun with me. I even have some of the sound bites where he would say, up next it's the Gino from TVG has a fresh <laughs> new haircut handicap, you know, and uh, yep. he, he does a great job. He's, he's a blast to listen to. Yep. So maybe some of the old school, just the, the grinder horse players may not, may not appreciate some of the stuff, but he, he brings it in, especially with like the clientele of Canterbury of trying to create like younger people, people go to the track. How many tracks do you have around the country that are like this where people go to the track to see the, the race announcer and yeah. they, he goes out to the paddock and people, hey, BA, BA, he's, BA, a BA, BA. he's the man. I mean, we, a, we've all heard his voice for years calling the Vikings. We hear his voice all on ESPN on the radio bits. The one that I'll always remember, which is the unfortunate one was when he got all over <laughs> Favre. Everybody remembers that one. Why would you ponder passing? You know, but he, his voice is great. And like you said, he, he understands that at Canterbury, you have a lot more fans that are, Going out to the track that are maybe there for the experience Maybe they're not the hardcore betters So he tries, he explains things to them He even mentions program numbers, you know, through the race call and things like that So I love what you guys do over there It's it's better friendly And you continue to, to do the, the right thing with lowering the takeout down We got these 10% takeout pick fives I know that that's become a staple for many people And, and we're going to be playing it and talking about it I think I'm going to one one of these weeks, I'll I'll try to get you and Brian on together, and we can do a little three way roundtable and go through the card. Nope, that would be that would be great. I was actually I, I should have hit this earlier. I, like when BA got the job, I was one of the finalists in that group. Oh, yeah. really? I I was I was I think finalist number three, and it just coincided, Gino, that I just got married, like a couple weeks beforehand, and the tryout week was my honeymoon. And Eric Hallstrom at the time said, you know what, you, you should go on the honeymoon. You should just go ahead and do it. And it was, it, it was, it was the right decision. It worked out. I didn't know Brian at all at the time. And since then I've got to know him and I'm really good friends with him. And he's, he's the job that he's doing out there is great. It's, it's a lot of hours that go into it. He's, I know he, he juggles a few things, but no, I was, it was one like it, it would it would have been fun to do, but yeah, it's I I was right there and but Brian he got he's a great guy and it's it's awesome being able to run things by him and opinions by him and getting his thoughts. You guys are in great great hands out there. I'm it, it's funny it's one of the things where it's like I can't believe I had never um, had never really spoken to either of you before these last couple of weeks. So it's really cool to get you both on as first time guests and now it'll hopefully be repeat guests because uh. As long as they have these Canterbury races, I'd love to be uh, to be picking your brains. And like I said, hey, when once basketball season and, and anytime there's anything going on T Wolves and stuff, I'd love to 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 touch base with you on that as well. So, Dave, give the folks out there um, on social media and stuff. How can we follow along? Uh, how can we get in touch with you if we ever want to talk racing or anything with you? Yeah. So my my name, real name is Dave Handlin. Uh, I've got real real Super Dave is what I go by, but it's at Super Stats Dave is my Twitter handle. Uh, I, if anybody has questions, I, I love to communicate and I love to talk to people. And if, if you have thoughts or wondering about races, I'll occasionally put some things out there. I, I kind of dangle with having followers who are basketball heavy, who follow me for Timberwolves basketball stats. And then I got horse racing group. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind of zig all over it, but yeah, I, mean, I love sports of all trades all my Minnesota teams, but then heck, I, 
fantasy golf fantasy nascar like yeah you're a true dj like me so we got to get oh. you back to talk a little bit of everything because that's like that's what i love to do here on the show we've been lucky that horse racing is still going on but in the next you know Month or so we're going to be able to talk Even next week we're going to talk about MLS getting back We'll be able to talk some basketball, some baseball And then hopefully football and college football We'll keep our fingers crossed It was nice to have racing when there was nothing else But we want to be able to have everything back too Yep, we want to, We want everything back And We're greedy uh, yep. one, one day Gino, Gino, and I know this will hit close to you One day we're going to get WrestleMania here in the cities And everybody's oh, going to be able to go there. there Like, I want we went to Monday Night Raw last summer. I went as Hulk Hogan, dressed up for it. Oh like, yes, like, I would love give, that. Give me some, give me some WrestleMania here, and have HBK walk out singing his own song, and just let's, that's what I want. Oh, I want to, I want to hit, I want to hit a pick, juicy pick five, and I want WrestleMania here, and I want Timberwolves to win. I want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl. Okay, that's we'll it. start checking that's them it. off the list. One at a time, right? We'll, we'll check yes. them off one at a time Dave, this was a blast, man I really appreciate it I look forward to talking to you again uh, Thank you so much And uh, let's make some money this week at Canterbury Alright, sounds good, Gino Happy 4th of July for you and the family And everybody, and be safe Thank you, Dave Right back at you Folks, don't go anywhere We're going to take a quick break We're going to hear from one of our sponsors And we'll be right back on That's What G Said Old Wrestling Rewatch this week But uh, unfortunately Instead of the uh, the triumvirate It's just going to be a tag team Andrew Champagne and Gina Bacola Andrew as you mentioned uh, no, With no Darren tonight We talked about this beforehand It's a free bird rule So it's just going to be two of us Defending the tag team championships Yep. now for those of you who may be unfamiliar With the concept of the free bird rule It was a way in which regional promoters Could use different combinations of guys In different kinds of matches the fabulous Freebirds, of course, were three people, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts. But you wouldn't necessarily get the same two guys every time they came back to a town to defend their titles. Sometimes you get Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. Sometimes you get Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. So they played around with some of the combinations. In all seriousness, Darren, unfortunately, had an obligation uh, to his day job that he could not get out of. Darren, we miss you. Hopefully you got a chance to watch this show and enjoy yourself because... We looked at the Great American Bash from 1996, and every time I watch this show, I have a really good time. It's This is a good show. When, when you look and you kind of look up or you read through articles or lists that rank the best WCW pay-per-views, this one's on it on, on almost every list. And I think this is like a top five, definitely, and 100% top 10 and, and a top five WCW show. Because what I like about this show, Andrew, is... It's right as things are starting to heat up From this era for about 8 months or so WCW is hot From this to the start of the NWO When we're seeing guys turn and join the NWO That we never saw, thought We're seeing guys come from WWF over Jump Ship We get the Monday Night Wars going We get this great Heel turn from Hulk Hogan who has become Completely bland And he's not even on this show because They didn't have anything for him you know, Before leading up to the NWO stuff If it wasn't for him Deciding to be the third guy Which he does a month after this Hulk Hogan was, he was in a really weird place And that's kind of why I like this show Is that we don't get bogged down With the NWO stuff That ends up bogging shows down You know 16, 18 months after this Because then from Middle of 98 
through the end of the WCW era, it's constantly NWO reformation, another NWO this, that, Vince Russo comes in, it's a mess. Right now, you get a little bit of that 93, 94, 95 WCW in here, and you can feel it starting to catch fire. I loved this show, I really did. There's a lot about this show that appeals to a wide variety of audiences. If you wanted the established stars, flares in a big match, the Steiner brothers open up the show, that's good stuff. If you wanted to see mid-carters potentially getting a push, you get Diamond Dallas Page with all of the gimmicks that he had at the time, and we'll go through that. If you're a fan of the cruiserweight wrestling, you get the WCW pay-per-view debut of Rey Mysterio Jr., and that's just a tremendous match and a hell of a deal. If you like the celebrity involvement, you get a match that, Gino, I think is the best celebrity match in recent wrestling history. There's a lot going on here. It's, it's really cool to see. It's a breeze of a watch, and it's even shorter if you skip the match that we skip, and we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah, well, I'll just kind of briefly mention it at the beginning, too. So this is actually the first uh, show that we've come to, which is kind of crazy when we think about it. We've already done it, 15, 20 different shows oh, so far. A bunch of them, yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting busy here. Yeah, and so we haven't actually come across any of them that have a Chris Benoit match. And we decided and we discussed this together that I think as we get to more shows that have matches or or he maybe they're not huge involvement or they're quick or this or that. Well, we'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll have a different idea or maybe a different way to approach them, or maybe we'll just skip them all. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But in this particular show with the way that the match was, it's hardcore, everything that's going on with it, actually um, Nancy Benoit being on the show and stuff. It's just, it's a lot to deal with. We do these wrestling rewatches so we can kind of get light and have fun, especially when it's a really Rough time in the world 2020 that's kind of Why we started doing this there wasn't a lot Going on we got together and we had fun Rewatching some of these old shows because there's not A lot of other sports and if we End up going into the Chris Benoit Stuff it just takes a whole different tone It takes us down a whole different road That we don't really want to go down right now Maybe sometime in the future we will Get into that kind of thing and we can bring someone On that's reported on it or covered it from a different Site and we can talk and go back and forth But for right now we're going to We're going to skip that match which you know At the time it was actually very highly regarded Because it was a different kind of match but it's just I I get a I get a weird feeling When I rewatch them I know you do too I know a lot of People out there do it's not like Watching a match where um, somebody That we know might might have said something Bad or is sort of a bad person it's just A completely different factor when you have To factor in everything that went down so We don't have to discuss it we're going to Go through you know, the Steiner brothers, Conan Elgato, DDP, Dean Malenko, John Tenta We'll just literally skip the next match We'll skip the little, uh, I could talk a little bit about the, the promo stuff with the Taskmaster in the back But just briefly with Kevin Sullivan And uh, and then we'll go to the final three matches with Sting, Regal, Flair, Anderson, and then the giant Jimmy Hart So, yeah, just even, even you know, removing that show, that from the show, which was still regarded as a good match uh, at the time And even uh, looking back, this is a good show, Andrew, I'm glad you picked this one It's kind of People always think of, like you said, Bash at the Beach as the start of the NWO. They forget the cool segment, too, at the end of this show where Nash and Hall are there and they powerbomb Bischoff off the off the entranceway. Now, if you do that segment in 2020, people go, eh, whatever. This was 1996. You've never seen it. No one was doing it. This no is before one. Vince. Keep in mind, like timeline-wise, this is a year before 
Vince even starts getting involved where Bret Hart is pushing him over and before the Montreal Montreal screw job which we just covered recently you know this is 14 months before all of that so this we forget they were very ahead of their time with some of the ideas with a lot of the bringing these guys in as Hall and Nash and not Diesel and Razor Ramon and yeah I mean we'll just get to it I'm sure we're going to hit a lot of the a, a lot of things as we as we go along but I I thought a really good show from top to bottom. The one thing though, as as we do pick on WCW a little bit uh, each and every time we talk about this, is that when you see you know some of the graphics, and this is 1996, some of their graphic packages and things they rolled out still felt like it was in the late 80s. They just never really were able to compare when it comes to WWF with with that sort of thing. But we do get a, a little bit of an intro with uh, right off the bat, it's uh, Bobby the Brain. And he's scared of the Macho Man. Bobby is actually going to be back at ringside. He's going to be the coach for the match where it's Ric Flair and Arn Anderson versus Steve Mongo, McMichael, and Kevin Green. The match that's being billed the Legends of Wrestling versus the Legends of the Gridiron. And we hit on a lot of these things. For just a random June 1996 pay-per-view, we get the Hall and Nash showing up. Tossing Bishop off the stage Macho Man's reinstated He's going to be back the next night The reformation of the Four Horsemen A Rey Mysterio debut on WCW Bobby the Brain making his return as a manager A Steve Mongo McMichael debut I mean that's a lot Those are a lot of big things for just a random pay-per-view To be happening um, in June And then this is you know The the, the catalyst for the, uh, the NWO Which is formed just a month from now And Andrew what's crazy about this Is just from a time a timeline standpoint so this show is only where the okay. So this show is in, is in the beginning of June now. The the WWF release or the exit of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash that is literally just weeks before this. I mean, we're talking weeks. So May the uh, May the nineteenth is when that curtain call happens. On WWF at Madison Square Garden Where um, they throw kayfabe out the window And Shawn Michaels and Triple H and Razor Ramon And Diesel, they all hug and they celebrate After the end of a match And they go up on the, you know, and they celebrate to the crowd At Madison Square Garden And and Triple H ends up getting, you know He ends up being the one that gets punished for that Because the two guys leave and the other guy's the champ There's That they've been building up for years There's nothing really Vince can do but punish only Triple H But it's crazy, one week after that Hull is on On Nitro and we're just a few weeks later here So all of this is happening Like this isn't six months later Like we see in wrestling nowadays We're talking, boom, you're away from the WWF And they were immediately in That's another thing Bischoff and WCW would do really well They would capitalize on guys quickly They would They did a lot of things right here For one, we call them Scott Hall and Kevin Nash Because that's how we knew them from their WCW run They were not referred to by name Anything for, uh, they surprisingly long time Bischoff's introduction says they know who they are come on out and we knew who they were but we didn't know what to call them it was really well done and it wasn't something that we had seen before usually you get guys coming in we know their gimmick we know their name we know their backstory whatever we didn't know anything except these guys just randomly showed up and started beating the crap out of people it was different And that was what made WCW a threat. It was different to what WWF at the time was doing. Bischoff tells the story all the time about when he got the job 
as executive producer of WCW, he sat down and made a list of all of the things WWF did and all of the things he wanted WCW to do. They're taped. We're going to go live. They're very cartoony. I want to be very real. Some of their stuff didn't work, but this is the beauty of the Monday Night Wars. If you didn't like something, wait five minutes because something else was going to happen. And if something didn't work, chances are it didn't last very long. There was a lot of incentive, not just week to week, not even hour to hour, quarter hour to quarter hour. It was really cool. It's not something that even we're seeing now with the Wednesday night thing that WWE and AEW are doing. I can't even call it a Wednesday night war. It just feels really different right now. And maybe we'll feel differently about that in a year, maybe two. But it's a completely different feel. And they're not there yet as far as a competition standpoint is concerned. But there was a lot going on here, Gino. And the thing that stuck out to me about that promo, and we'll get to it in a little bit, is... Eric Bischoff legally, per a legal ruling, had to ask these two guys, do you work Mm -hmm. for the WWF? Because Vince had sued them. Vince had said, what the heck are you doing? You're using our intellectual property on your television program. Uh Uh-uh. Because they were what they were was genius about what they're doing is by not naming themselves to they were able to play the same character. That they that we thought that we knew from them in the WWF. Scott Hall is playing Razor Ramon. Hey, yo. I mean, he's doing the same shtick. And Diesel's just doing the you know Nash is doing the Diesel stuff. He's he's holding his hands up. He's doing so. We we know them as Razor Ramon and Diesel. But just like you said, they don't name them, so they can't get in trouble. They're not allowed to name them because Vince has already said, "What are you doing here?" And and they they did a really good job of of going of get, beating around the bush when they had to. Yeah, and. We'll get to some of the reasons why that worked. Unfortunately, this worked so well that it inspired a lot of fly-by-the-seat-of-their-pants booking, and that wound up ultimately leading to the downfall of WCW because they relied on that so much. Long-term storylines, eh. They were enforced sparingly. And you'd have a couple of storylines for a couple of the major guys, Everybody else, including a lot of big names, were just sort of left, you know, blowing in the wind, waiting for something to come their way. You wind up with a situation like that. You wind up with a situation like the NWO getting too big, so big they had to split it. You wind up with a situation where WCW had a standards and practices group come in and radically change the product from something that may have been working pretty well to something that absolutely was not going to work. Bischoff leaves. Vince Russo comes in. We all know how well or not well that went. And ultimately, WWF winds up buying their competition in 2001. But after this show and after Bash at the Beach, it was very clear this wasn't WWF against some regional promotion. This was WWF against a legitimate, honest-to-goodness competitor. And in some cases, WCW was kicking WWF's butt at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and even it's a little things too, right? We talk about all the wrestlers that come over, but in in the opening package and in the first five minutes, we see Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was a mainstay in WWF forever, Mean Gene Okerlund, Miss Elizabeth. Those were the ones to me as a fan when when those type of of 
folks who felt like WWF mainstays left. That's too when I was going, uh oh, you know, this they feel big. And then and keep in mind too, what's going on at the same time at WWF at, at 96 right now? Bret Hart is gone. This is not the hottest time in the world for WWF. They're trying to get Shawn Michaels over as the guy, and he puts together some decent matches here and there, but he's not in the best set mindset to be a star. So they're not in the greatest spot either. So it's a, a perfect time for WCW to start catching fire. We see in the intro package Bobby the Brain, he's scared of Macho Man. Um, and then uh, we it was weird. Lex Luger kind of really subdued all night long. Um, in, in his promos and and talking about you know his quest to 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 slam and rack the giant and win a, a third title, and they do that weird rocking camera thing with the giant trying to make him look big, fee fi fo fum spooky. And uh, I texted you about this jokingly the other day. It's Tony Schiavone and Dusty Rhodes. Mike Tenay joins a little bit later. They play the national anthem. I love Dusty, the American Dream. Amazing promo guy, connected with the crowd. Everyone loved him. He is just. Terrible in some spots on commentary I mean and, and then he has some funny spots And, and some moments where he's laughable I, I compared it when we were talking Andrew To it reminds me of the macho man And that I think these guys w- Who are so good cutting promos And they're such good talkers They almost feel when they're on Commentary like it's weird And, and you've no, and you've done this before Sometimes when you're on air Two seconds feels like a minute an eternity. If you're not talking for a few seconds and there's some silence, sometimes it feels like forever. And I think with both of those guys, they feel the need to say things, even if it's just saying the most obvious stuff that's like just air again. Uh, they they very rarely are saying like super important or like philosophical or like important things. Yeah, and Dusty was never my cup of tea as an announcer. I don't think WCW used him well during this era. They used him as a color commentator. He was part of the NWO for a little while and then went away as a result of either being released or his contract was up and just was not renewed. Having said that, for this show and this show only, I'm going to give Dusty more or less a free pass. There's a couple of things that I took exception to that we'll talk about, a couple of things that I laughed at. But one thing that I think is very important to remember is he had just lost one of his best friends in the business. That's a good uh, point. Dick, yep. Dick Murdoch, a legendary wrestler, not so much of a legendary human being. By multiple accounts, the dude was a dyed-in-the-wool racist. But he and Dusty Rhodes were very close. Murdoch passed away right before this show. Dusty worked the show when you have to think he had the option of saying, you know what, don't worry about it. We'll get Tanae to do color, whatever. He showed up and he did the show. So respect him for that. But as a color commentator, generally not one of my favorites and not an easy listen. He he's the reason why he's on. I mean, he does commentary for them a lot. But the reason why he's on this show in particular is because Bobby the Brain is not going to be in the commentary booth. He's going to be back in the corner of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson in that match where, where they face the legends of the gridiron. So. Uh, Nash and Hall are referred to As they As Andrew mentioned They're never referenced by any name At all Tony and Dusty run down the main events And Dusty says If we want to fight They come in here with a burr up their butt Let's pull it out and get after it And that's when they uh, they mention uh, Dick Murdoch Dusty's former partner Andrew if we're playing the drinking game tonight A couple things we can drink When you hear um, Where the big boys play 
when you hear Great American Bash, they love saying the name of the event. They must they say it repeatedly, even more than the WWF loves to say the name of their goofy events. And uh, war is another thing they talk about all throughout the night with the uh, you know the Hall and the Nash, and they want a war and they want a hostile takeover. That's another one they mentioned a few times. But the one thing I think we'll go through throughout this entire show, there is very very little that's bad. And that to me is what makes a good show More so than having Two or three five star matches It's just not having any Real downers throughout the show And I thought we got kicked off here With the Steiner brothers Rick and Scott Steiner versus Fire and Ice That's Scott Norton and the Ice Train Uh, For those of you who don't know Scott Norton either I mean Scott Norton was a big man Who was a multiple time New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion They were he got built over there Quite quite big they brought him back here And he was ended up uh, kind of as, as Like muscle in the NWO he just Really couldn't cut promos and have much of a personality But as you see in this match These guys could all go And they could all go they had a pretty good motor This match was a pretty quick pace For four big guys going you know 10 minutes and there was lots of suplex, lots of power moves Scott Steiner is massive here um, One thing I noticed in the intro too They used a lot of money on the pyro Tons of fireworks all over at WCW The crowd loves the Steiners um, Dusty says the Steiners hit you so hard It's like when you're a kid and you hit your head into a brick wall um, Luckily I didn't have that happen to me Andrew um, No brick walls that I ran into uh, But they they keep saying the one thing about this match. It's funny. There must be a winner, which which I kind of get what they're going for, but there, it doesn't really come into the stipulation. It's not like this is a a brawl or a street fight or anything. Randomly, Dusty just says, "Well, sometimes best laid plans plans of mice and men." I don't know where that came from. It was literally out of nowhere. Um, Scott Steiner suplexes Norton uh, on his shoulder. And then Norton hits a big power move on Scott Norton hits a shoulder breaker That I thought looked really really good The last minute of this match A bit sloppy I think the big men were a little bit winded And Scott hits a pretty bad Frankensteiner Probably one of the worst ones he hits That ends up looking more like a a powerbomb from Norton It didn't hit clean But overall the match I had no problems with I thought it was pretty good These are four big men going at it and uh, I had, you know, 10 minute, 10 and a half minutes it, it didn't feel like it dragged, didn't feel long It was a fine match Gino, I want to make one thing very clear Just on the off chance that Scott Norton is out there and potentially listening The remarks of Gino do not reflect the remarks of me <laughs> I did not say anything negative about you, Mr. Norton, sir And to be honest, you. having just seen one of the dark sides of the ring that he was on He looks exactly the same. He is a former arm wrestling champion. And I am petrified that if I ever run into this man, he is going to rip my arm out of my socket and beat (laughs) me over the head with it. So I just want that noted before we move on. Okay. It's on record. My comments are mine and only my comments. Yes. And Scott Norton, yes, still a very scary dude, a legitimate tough guy. One of many legitimate tough guys from Minnesota that went into professional wrestling in the 80s. Here in the 90s, he was sort of a mid-carder with WCW, but they discovered he had some chemistry with this guy named Ice Train. Now, Ice Train didn't have a lot of experience. He had a really good body, good look, and he had a couple of really good power moves that he went to. You can see in this match, he's still sort of green, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't really look natural the way he's moving around the ring. But as far as his offense goes, he knows what he can do and he knows what works. 
And you can tell the Steiner brothers are sort of leading the other team through this match and it works and it works really well. There's interesting storytelling going on here because not many guys in WCW's tag team division could go power for power with the Steiner brothers. These guys could. And that meant that the Steiner brothers had to sell, which is not something they routinely had to do. Scott could do that. Scott was an incredibly gifted worker. He was thought of as a potential recipient of a big singles push in the early 90s. There were reports he didn't necessarily want to do that because it would leave his brother out in the lurch. Rick, though, eh, that's not really his bag. And you can tell in the last couple of minutes when he and Scott Norton are beating the living daylights out of each other. Anyone out there that's remarking, oh, wrestling is fake, herpaderp. First of all, what the heck are you doing listening to this section of the podcast? Go somewhere else. Secondly, go receive one of those shots from either Scott Norton or Rick Steiner and tell me how fake wrestling is. These guys were beating the daylights out of one another in the corner, and it was pretty darn cool to see. This was a good match, a fast-paced match. Yeah, for and the big the guys. Ste- yeah. yeah, and the Steiners got a big pop winning the match, positioning themselves in the tag team division, which, of course, would get thrown on its ear later in the summer when the team known as the Outsiders, that we would eventually call them as, wound up essentially ruling the tag team division for two or three years off and on. But this match, for what it was, really good opener and it got the fans going the crowd was pretty into most of this show actually yeah, and they I got agree. some they got something to cheer right away so more power to them for that the one thing i will note with dusty and i know i said i'm gonna go easy on him trust me i will there's just a couple of things and one of the things comes in this match where he says obviously the steiner brothers are brothers <laughs> and tony goes yes they were born like that dusty <laughs> <laughs> there there was a funny back and forth with Tony and Dusty and I mean knowing Tony and hearing him talk like they were they were buddies they were close they're messing with each other but in in the next match there were a few different times where they they get mad at each other you just jokingly you know back and forth it's just uh it, it's funny um uh, next up we get Mean Gene backstage he calls Jimmy Hart a Nathan Lane wannabe which I thought that was kind of a little interesting, I guess it's from like a singing thing Because Jimmy Hart was always musically interested And in, in, I guess that was the, Where he was going with that um, We got a promo with the Taskmaster We won't talk a whole lot about that But he had been uh, feuding with uh, the Four Horsemen And then he obviously has that match later on the show With Benoit We next get to a match uh, um, El Gato versus Conan El Gato is Pat Tanaka Who we've talked about before Is one of the members of the Orient Express In WWF And um, Andrew, I don't know about you, like Conan, I feel like at this point, he hadn't really connected. And even for a while, he didn't as much with me. When I look back at him, I, it's kind of weird because he checks a lot of the boxes. He was pretty good in the ring. He's very good on the promo. He uh, on a promo, he can cut excellent promos. He was a huge star in Mexico. He was like a teen idol who had his own show and he became like Hulk Hogan esque, many say. But and they they were giving him plenty of opportunities here. Even the next month following, he had been he had a good run for about five six months or so with the the U.S. title. The next month after this, he ends up losing in a match to Ric Flair. He's treated like a star. I just don't know if it always connected the way that they wanted it to. 
Conan checked a lot of boxes for me as well. He was a decent worker, although WCW got him sort of at the tail end of his in-ring career. Mm -hmm. He was still doing some stuff in Mexico. He's billed as the Mexican heavyweight champion. At this time, he was the world champion in AAA, and in fact, he never lost the belt. His contract with them expired later this year, and when it expired, he wound up starting his own promotion in Mexico called Promo Azteca. And that didn't last very long because he was doing a lot of stuff with WCW, so much so that he couldn't run his business in Mexico. That folded in 1998. You mentioned El Gato being Pat Tanaka. Fun Spanish lesson out there for you. El Gato literally translates to Pat Tanaka. Bet you didn't see that one coming, folks, did you? So anyway, El Gato, Pat Tanaka, whatever you want to call him, the audience didn't have a reason to care about him. Yeah. They tried to build him up in promos, and I remember this. Please don't ask me how I remember this, because <laughs> I, I can barely remember what I had for lunch today. But I remember Conan cutting promos leading up to this show, calling him a legend in South America. Well, he was a, less, a legend in the mind of the WCW booking committee, coming up with this gimmick for one match that was six, seven minutes, the second match of a pay-per-view. Oh, Okay, I guess the match is technically fine. Pat Tanaka is a good, solid worker, and there's a reason that he held jobs for a really long time in a variety of different roles for WWF and WCW. He could have a decent match with pretty much anybody. Mm -hmm. Conan hits a sunset flip power bomb off the apron. You do that now, it's a transition move. In 1996, that was a huge deal. Big spot. Nobody was doing that. Now a Canadian destroyer gets a two count. Back then, that was a big move, and the crowd popped huge for it. I didn't expect that because I didn't remember the kind of worker that Conan was before he joined the NWO, did all of his stuff with the Wolfpack that wound up getting over. I didn't remember Conan being able to do that. So that was a pleasant surprise. He retains the title, but I don't know if you saw this, Gino. When he left the ring, he left without either of his title belts. He basically beelines straight to the back. If I'm the Mexican heavyweight champion and the WCW US championship, I'm taking the belts wherever I go, and I'm not letting them out of my sight. That's just a funny little thing. And another funny little thing, Gino, you mentioned the drinking games that we could play here. Anytime you hear Dusty use the words uncle or uncling, yes, he uses the words unkling. <laughs> like a verb, unkling as a verb. Yes, yes, it's a verb. Um, Conan grabs a submission hold. Dusty Rhodes yells, this could uncle you. <laughs> okay there, big yeah. dust. Uh, yeah. just easy, easy okay. there. But this match on the whole, nothing offensive about it. It just feels job. like more of like a nitro match than a pay-per-view match. That's, that's I had all. it as I had it as a WCW Saturday night match, right? actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. We, we're on the same wavelength there. It's yeah. not a bad match. It's a short match. Conan looks pretty good doing it. Check the box. Uh, I'll get after Tony a little bit here. It's at the beginning. It's funny. So he says it would be quite a feather in the cap of El Gato. He, he's saying if he could win. And he gets tripped up. He thinks that he said the phrase wrong, even though he said it right. Feather in the cap. You know, that's what he's supposed to say. So he's he's like a little bit. It's what happens when you're live on live TV. You're like, uh oh, did I say that wrong? And you start thinking and doubting yourself. So then he changes it. He says, 
it would be quite a feather for him to win. No cap. No, like, like who just says it would be a feather for you to win something? And then Dusty, which is funny because we're talking about how Dusty is has a tough time, you know, spitting things out. Dusty literally says, "Spit it out, spit it out." A feather in the hat if he wins the title. That's all you had to say, not to filibuster. <laughs> it was just <laughs> a really funny little back and forth where it just it's a, the, great when you're on live TV and you get frozen like Tony did, and then Dusty let him have it for it. Um, and then right after this, Tony says a uh, leg drag takedown, and Dusty says it was a leg drag takedown. Tony says, we're going to repeat each other all night? And Dusty says he was astonished that Tony knew what the move was. So they're just having fun here. Uh, Gato with an arm drag. Conan hits that cool clothesline. Uh, Tony says that Conan has his own show in Mexico. And Dusty says, uh, I do too. WCW Saturday night with my co-stars, the silver tongue Tony Schiavone. And then uh, Conan with that powerbomb Andrew mentioned. And... Yeah, good match. Yeah, six minutes. Gato is solid. He just is a tag guy. He doesn't look like you're like in great shape physically. He can go though. He's he's a good hand. He's someone that uh, you need on your roster to be able to fill and, and slot in cer- certain places. So Conan gets continues to get over. He just I feel like he could have been a bigger star. And maybe you know, like we say, sometimes timing. If this was twenty years later, I think with the way he's able to cut promos and how he talks on the mic, he might have connected even more. But he just didn't feel it's like come off as a big, big star ever. He just kind of felt like a mid Carter. Um, well, the big thing with Conan before we move on is Conan wasn't just there for his in ring skills or his mic skills, whatever. WCW actively used him as a liaison to get a lot of their luchadors. Yes, That's why Rey Mysterio was on the roster. Juventud Guerrera, Psychosis, Hector Garza, a lot of guys that had really good matches in WCW were the result of the relationship that they had with Conan and in turn the relationships Conan had with them. It was a case where Conan getting his foot in the door with WCW allowed other guys to follow in behind him. And we're going to see the result of that later on in the show. Just another point for if you did not know about Conan pre, uh, prior to coming to WCW, he was actually in the WWF for a while. They created a character called Max Moon that was supposed to be, you know, partly Conan's idea. He ended up not um, playing the character for a while because he ended up, when he came to the WWF, he was still a little young. And he started becoming a huge star in Mexico at this time. So he ends up not showing up to a lot of WWF stuff after they've created this Max Moon character for him. Vince was really upset because it's something they put a lot of money into and they thought would be a a big hit with the kids and something they could use for toys and action figures. And um, it just never really worked for him in WWF. But here with the relationship between WCW and what they had with the Mexican promotions, this was a really great fit for Conan. Andrew, I forgot about this promo. This oh mean boy. gene promo oh with Sting. Boy. Talk about a weird homophobic promo in 1996. I mean, they are literally talking about uh, Regal like he's gay and they're making fun of him. I mean, Gene says this guy comes off, he's talking with Sting and he's interviewing Sting about his match a little bit later on with Regal. He says this guy comes off as sort of a sissy or a prissy, but looks can be deceiving. And Sting says, because Regal, Regal drinks tea with his pinky up, he has to wonder about him. Mean Gene then holds his hand out and does a little effeminate, you know, like like he dashes his hand. Um, Sting then says, the men in England that ain't that uh, 
that ain't the way they breed men in the U.S. Sting then kind of gets frozen. He loses his words. He like stops for a second. He asks me and Gene to take it. He says, "I'm not saying he's if not a fantastic wrestler, but I'm not too sure about him. He's a little iffy. If anyone can straighten you out in 10, 20, 30 minutes, it's the Stinger." Ah, this was weird. Yeah, and this was around the time where Sting was going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't mention a lot about it because, as we've established on past shows, born-again Christian, by all accounts, a really good guy, happy he's still around. But he was into some stuff in the mid to late 1990s, had some personal demons, and this was, of course, right before he adapted the crow gimmick of sitting in the rafters and doing everything that he did to where he wouldn't wrestle for close to a year and a half. This promo was deeply weird. Another one to add to the pile of things you would never see on a wrestling show today. Uh, He has Gene reset and back it up so that he can get his place. It's not Sid's We're Live Buddy promo, but you can see it from there. It's it's strange. It's weird. Thankfully, he redeems himself later on in the evening with what I think is a really, really, yeah. really good match. It's funny, and they're they're playing this like Regal effeminate thing, and he drinks tea and Jeeves and stuff. And Regal is like one of the most badass guys you'll ever see, and he's literally been at this time having these incredible matches with Finley right before this, and he has a bruiser later. It just seems to to not fit the character. Whatsoever. I mean, they even talk about Regal as fighting in the India, the 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 pits of in India when he was a kid. It, I don't know. It just it didn't connect. And I don't like this. Is like the stuff that bothers us and bothered me when we see Hulk Hogan get really racist. You know, when he says stuff about Yokozuna or some of the stuff that he would say. It just I don't like this from your top babyface. I don't like it at all. Well, here's the biggest problem. You know why this didn't connect? Because Regal. Is a real man's man. He's a man. Waka, waka, waka. I'm sorry. I had to. I agree with you. I agree with you completely. This was awkward, but Sting would at least make Regal look really, really good later on in the evening. So I'm willing to forgive this, all things considered, because this isn't a situation where sometimes you see it with. Certain top guys from certain eras, not going to name names. You can infer what you want with guys that just dress people down in promos and then beat them. And they crush them in the yeah. ring and bury but them in the ring. Sting let Regal A, get over, and B, take a lot of liberties to do so in the mm-hmm. ring. And we'll talk about that more when we get to that match because it's a really good match and it's one of my favorites on the show. Here comes DDP versus Marcus Bagwell. How amazing to see the difference in these characters from two years earlier from when we we watched a Halloween Havoc a few weeks ago, huh? Where Bagwell is the slimy heel and DDP is the people's champion, the big baby face that everybody loves. These guys are polar opposite characters at this point. This was the early DDP character. He's the Lord of the Ring. He had been going through a gimmick where... He won a bunch of money in the lottery And then he lost everything There was a benefactor that helped get him Back into ring shape He ends up winning the Lord of the Ring You could tell in this match Both of these guys were prospects That the WCW liked They just had not figured them out yet For as much crap as we give Bagwell He could go in the ring And he could go here And he actually was 
a pretty good babyface character at this point. I think the problem with Bagwell was once he got that neck injury, he was really never the same in the ring afterwards, and he was always that slimy heel guy that that just we kind of got a little bit sick with. He he does a good job here. He's just kind of white meat babyface. And DDP is the slimy heel who's who's cheating. He he talks to Baltimore at the beginning and he says uh, he calls him Carl Ripkin, which is is good. You know, just the the cheap heat right off the bat. And DDP is overselling a little bit. These guys are both figuring out who they are. But I didn't have a problem with this. You could tell they were they were both going well. I think the the commentary put both of them over. Tony's talking about how DDP's his least favorite guy to talk to backstage. And uh, DDP attacks Bagwell from behind to start And B- Bagwell falls crotch first on the ropes And Dusty says If you want to know what that feels like Go back outside and jump off a wall Onto the clothesline and land on it Okay <laughs> um, But you could tell they, li- they like DDP I think you could tell they like both of these guys They really put over the diamond cutter As a devastating move when he hits it Immediately Dusty says No way, he's not getting up from that One of the more devastating moves and DDP retains the Lord of the Ring title. DDP credits Dusty Rhodes with essentially making his career. And you can see why right there with what you just mentioned. They, at this point, and this is 96, DDP wouldn't really hit his stride until early 97 when he rebuffed the advances of the NWO, turned face, and wound up feuding against them for a while. They were already building up the Diamond Cutter as a really cool finishing move, and for good reason. It was fun. Now, Page looks back on this period, and it's kind of funny. If you watch his Hall of Fame speech, he refers to the fact that he had about six or seven gimmicks all at once. And if you look at the way he comes down to the ring, he's got the (laughs) cigar, he's got the chewing gum, he's got the sunglasses, he's got the jacket. It's it's one of those things where he's just trying to throw everything at the wall Mm -hmm. and see what sticks. Bagwell, meanwhile... He's part of the American males at this point, and the less said about that tag team, the better. Never liked them, hated their ring music. Oh, boy, it's on YouTube if you want to listen to it, but I advise you not to do that. Uh, Bagwell's <laughs> got the 1990s frosted tips in his hair. Uh, that's, that's horrifying for a different reason. You mentioned Paige selling a lot, and I liked that because you could tell WCW had some sort of long-term plan for Bagwell. They were never quite sure what it was. So I was okay with that. And Bagwell needed that because his offense was really basic. Mm -hmm. He had one good dive from in the ring to the arena floor, and that was pretty cool. But the rest of it was pretty generic stuff, and I found it very hard to find a reason to root for him as a a babyface. I honestly thought he was far better as an entertaining mid-card heel. That act did have a ceiling, but his oh yeah, role. his stick, his chemistry, yeah. and his his personality, his charisma as the heel was worlds different than this. Yes. I just kind of forgot. Like we never, I don't even remember seeing a whole lot of buff matches because I think after he got hurt, they kind of used him more as a piece and a prop than even going in the ring. He he could go okay, but it, it's funny if you could have combined some of the charisma from his heel with some of the a, a little bit better, just more basic work that he was able to do earlier in career, he probably could have been a better overall performer. Yeah, I agree. And it's a case where he did have a, a use in the late 90s. He formed a tag team with the object of my nightmare, Scott Norton, that <laughs> had one of the best names WCW ever cooked up. Vicious and delicious. Yes, that was a I good one. That, that, that was, was great. I enjoyed that, was good. that. But... 
The one thing that I will note about this match, and this is one of those things where you could tell, despite the fact that Paige was on the older side, he was still learning in the ring, and Bagwell was still learning as well. They do a weird crisscross spot in here, and Paige doesn't do a leapfrog. He just sort of sticks his leg out over Bagwell as he's running by. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that was, (laughs) but it's pretty darn awkward, and Paige is still finding his footing, but... You could tell they were planting the seeds for something. And when Rhodes says, yep, that's it. Everybody go home. That's putting over a finisher in a way wrestling doesn't do today. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do one finisher in a match, you might get a two count. Here it was. He hits this move. You're done. And very few people wound up kicking out of the diamond cutter, which added a lot to the appeal of Diamond Dallas Page once he got rolling and found himself. This match, pretty good. Nothing to write home about. A lot similar to the Conan Elgato match. It just yeah. seemed like a Nitro or a Saturday night match. And there's nothing wrong with that if that is the floor on match quality in the card. Completely and I completely agree. And I think you're right. I think these those are that's about it. There's one more match that I'd probably put in the range of this where it wasn't special, it wasn't bad, it was just kind of there. But I have again, when there's when it's not bad. That's fine with me. I, I I had no problem with this match whatsoever, and it's fun knowing, seeing this, knowing what we would know, what DDP would become, and even what Bagwell would become. I love seeing when when guys are completely different characters or completely different iterations of themselves, and this is what you get with this version of Marcus Bagwell and with this version of of DDP before he becomes the People's Champ. We get to Mean Gene, who's with Jimmy Hart and the Giant, and. Uh, they're asking if Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger have any ties. Uh, the Giant says he's immortal. He was pushed off a building and lived uh, in '95. And he mentions he runs down everybody who's de- he's defeated. It's very impressive. The only thing I don't like about this at this point, and I guess it's been a while, so he has to talk. I just feel like more less would be more talking with the Giant at this point. He's still young. He hasn't really found his voice. He's kind of all over, and he to me he's less scary when he talks than when he's just standing there. You have Jimmy Hart with him. I think this was maybe a little bit of a miss is not getting more out of Jimmy here and maybe just having Big Show Paul White, who's the Giant at this point, just stand there and look more imposing. Consider this. WCW had the giant, Paul White, the big show, whatever you want to call him, in his early 20s. They rocket him to the top of the card. You want to talk about strapping a rocket to someone. You can't do much more than what they did with the giant, with giving him the title. And being able to sort of screw over Hogan with how they did it. Yep. They give him the title. And almost immediately, the title takes a back seat to other things that are going on within the company. Yeah. And that winds up being a really big problem. I would argue that the WCW title doesn't really start to matter again until points in 97 when you wind up with Lex Luger beating Hogan for the title and then Hogan getting the title back at the pay-per-view and then Sting challenging the for the Sting. title at yeah. Starcade. This was a situation where it wasn't necessarily WCW's fault. They stumbled onto something with the NWO, and that wound up being the big deal. That was fine. Early to mid-96, though, I can't really excuse that because you've got a legitimate star. Paul White had star written all over him. His look, I mean, they're, they're kind of, remember, early on, I don't know how far it went, but he was the son of Andre the Giant for a while. 
that's, yeah. they, that's what they referred to him as for a while before, yeah. and then that went away. But he right. was, you know, he was supposed to be this guy, and he could move, and he had an unbelievably imposing look. And and the, the list of guys he just went through with Macho to Hogan to Sting to Flair, it should have meant more than it did right here. Yeah, exactly. And never forget, he was still sort of learning. But he wasn't bad in the ring. No. We talk about giants that get pushed nowadays. It's a struggle if they can walk and chew gum at the same time. He was athletic. The, That's the, the thing. He was a basketball was doing, player. He yeah. He was doing missile drop kicks for goodness sake. Off the top sake. rope. Yeah, he looked good. Yeah. And he could, he could sell and not look horrible because he was athletic. He wouldn't yeah. look like he was falling and tripping over himself if somebody, if he was selling a punch or if he was selling some, uh, some offense from from someone else. So, yeah, it just is weird. I think they they did kind of polar opposites with the way they used him, and it still feels like when we look at the Big Show, who has an incredible career when it's all said and done, and everything that he's done in his longevity. I mean, we're, we're recording this Tuesday night. He was out on Monday Night Raw with Randy Orton, who he looks to be involved in a feud with, you know, right now, still able to step in. And be a main event slot in type player, but he just never. He feels like in both companies he didn't hit as big as he could have. Uh, and the he, thing is, I mean, we're talking twenty five years after his break, and he's already in perpetually over status. Not a lot of guys ever get there. That's so a great don't point. Think, don't yeah. think we're knocking the big not show at all. For anything it's only that we think do. so highly of him. This guy could have been a guy that that held a title for years at a time. Yeah, and in past eras, he would have. But he came along right before the NWO, and when Hogan's revealed as the third guy, gotta beat the giant, brother. And I would argue he never recovered from that in WCW. Maybe we'll talk about Hogwild 96 at some point. Maybe that's how we punish Darren when he comes back. (laughs) Uh, But it's a situation where they wound up misusing him so badly he jumps to the WWF, becomes the big show, and embarks on a terrific career there. The guy was in the ring with Floyd Mayweather and made it look believable. There were so many iterations of the big show character uh, based on his look, based on what they would ask him to do. An incredibly versatile dude. And when he goes into the WWE Hall of Fame, it's not an if, it's a when. And it's going to be a well-deserved standing ovation for this guy whenever he gets it. He's a lot of fun to watch. For a lot of different reasons And we'll get to the main event Which I thought was actually a pretty darn good match Yeah it's not bad And he's very uh, He's very Reminds just a lot of Kane He's like someone you take for granted Because he's always there You know forever And he's just a guy who had so many matches So many good feuds And so many top stars through the years And we're talking about Big Show here Even in, in 96 Already being the guy So uh, yeah Just unfortunate because it, there were just little things maybe if they tweaked or the way he was brought into WWF or some of the way he was booked here that it, it could have been, he could have been even bigger he could have been as big of a star as anyone with his look and with um, you know how good and how how far along he was I think already at this point for uh, for someone who was young in the game next up this is the highlight of the show for me Andrew I think for probably for a lot of people and one of the really important things about this show too is Next up we get Rey Mysterio versus Dean Malenko And this is the WCW debut of Rey Mysterio Jr. And it's not even that Wow this is a really good match that we watch It's that this match was important for many many reasons 
you had talked about how Conan was the link getting a lot of these luchadors into WCW, but none of them were really the size of Rey Mysterio. They were all guys that were a little bit bigger. And bringing someone like Rey Mysterio in, and with how small he was, this really did open a door on a national U.S. landscape for seeing that smaller guys really could compete in the ring with bigger guys. It wasn't like a sideshow thing that you had to have, you know, at the very beginning of the card or or on you know as a separate side of the card. This guy could go against bigger guys. He really legitimized things. In this one match, he, he honestly did. This is a huge moment for Mysterio and for a lot of, uh, not necessarily even luchadors, but smaller guys that he really helped pave the way for. I love this match, and I love this match for so many different reasons. We talk a lot about Rey Mysterio, in this case, Rey Mysterio Jr. He comes in, and in later years and even now, he's muscled up. It's no secret he was on the gas for a little while. This is Mysterio in 1.0 form, I'll call him. And even so, he had been wrestling since he was a teenager in Mexico. This guy carried himself like a veteran right off the rip. And they gave him the perfect foil, not just in this match, but in most of 1996. He had a series of six, eight matches on television or pay-per-view with Dean Malenko. And Malenko, for as much as we remember how good he was technically, he could move. He was light on his feet. He could keep up. And he could tell all sorts of really cool, convincing stories with just about anybody. Not just Mysterio, but guys like Eddie Guerrero, Juventud Guerrera, Chris Jericho, for goodness sake. The list goes on and on. This was such a good match. And it was a good match for so many reasons. You have Dean Malenko who is seen as the Iceman for obvious reasons, man of a thousand holds. And they tell a really cool story in the first part of the match where Malenko works the arm and they do a lot of really cool sympathy spots and the crowd's going, okay, when are we going to see everything that they're saying Mysterio can do? Whoa. And the woe comes when Mysterio hits this springboard somersault to Malenko. Malenko's not at ringside. Malenko is a step or two up the ramp. We're talking Bob Beeman long jump territory. He flies, man. And that was so cool. And and Malenko didn't cheat either. Malenko catches him clean. He doesn't have to move up to compensate so that he doesn't drop the guy. He catches him clean. And it is so much fun to see that because, as I've said a couple of times, this was 1996. We hadn't seen this yet. This was completely revolutionary, even if you had seen what Rey Mysterio could do in ECW or on the indies, what have you. We get an almost an Unklin situation line from Dusty Rhodes when Malenko's (laughs) work on the arm. That's pretty funny. The one thing that holds this match down even a little bit. Now, Meltzer gave this match four stars. I give it four and a quarter if we're going on the star system. I think it's a great match. The only thing that's even the slightest bit complainable, Randy Eller is the referee here. He would not be with WCW as a top-tier official much longer. He is slow, and he can't keep up with this. There are a couple of instances where there's a pinning situation, and he takes one or two seconds to get down in a position to where he can make the count. It didn't fit with what they were trying to do, and it's a case where... 
I don't even think WCW knew what was going to wind up happening. It was a case where, okay, we've got this talented guy. We know we can work with Dean Malenko because they've done it in ECW. Let's just send him out for 20 minutes and see what happens. And it's a case where they learned as they went. And what they wound up producing was for three solid years, one of the real highlights of WCW programming was that cruiserweight division. And even if a Nitro episode wasn't great, you could bank on a good, solid cruiserweight match. It might only be six or eight minutes, but you'd get a lot of action in that time period. This was a 17-minute match. There were not a lot of dead spots in this match. These guys went all out, and when Mysterio was able to show what he could do, whoa, boy. This this was just so much fun. So... What's great too is that Mike Tanay joins him to call the match And when you get Mike Tanay You get basically a JR type He's going to give you all the backstory He's going to give you everything that's going on He gives you a lot of history of Ray Coming into the, you know, in Mexico And and, and everything that he's been doing Quick pace to start, counters, mat wrestling Then Malenko trying to slow it down Tanay goes through all the big time opponents That Dean has had through the year And we're talking legitimate uh, cruiserweights All over the world Ray hits a Arm drag spinning from up on top of Dean, which is awesome. And then the springboards. I mean, springboards and drop kicks all over. He's countering Dean. And then Dean really focuses on the arm. It's about 10 minutes where he's working on the arm. And it's not like when a big man has a rest hold. He's different rest holds, but he's always moving. Elbow, hammerlock slam. And he's just he's getting into different. He's the man of a thousand holes, right? Just a different one that looks good, that looks smooth every time. Um, Tony, Dusty says something, and Tony asks Mike Tanay if uh, he needs to translate that for him. <laughs> he says, "No, I, I speak Dusty, so I'm good." Uh, Ray goes for a Hurricane Rana. Dean counters, and then he flips him in front, and Ray lands on his feet, and then Dean nails him with a clothesline. That was a great spot. Ray goes spinning. He really sells it. Uh, Tanay mentions that Eddie Guerrero just won the New Japan Battle of the Super Juniors, defeating uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Dean just playing the power big man, slowing it down, just focusing on that arm over and over. Hits an overhead suplex. Tons of near falls on Ray. He gets the surfboard into a bridge pin. He then hits a double underhook. Suplexes all over from Dean. Uh, Dusty says the at this point that the refs need to think about stopping the match for Ray's own benefit, and then quickly Ray turns it around. He hits that springboard somersault that Andrew talked about, which was great, great, and the match really picks up at that point, right? With the drop kick, back and forth counters, Ray catches himself going into the ropes, and he rolls over onto the apron. This is these are spots that we've we didn't even think were possible, and we're seeing him here in '96 in the U.S. We've never seen anything like it. He hits a forearm off the top, then he jumps onto the top rope, springboards into a head scissor like a Frankenstein'er for a pin attempt. Just things that are not really we just don't see. And when we do, it's wow. It's not boom, 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 back to back to back. Uh, Ray and Ray is just different too. We're not talking about him doing some moves we've never seen. He does them so crisp, so smooth. There's a reason why he is talked about as one of the all-time greats. He gets caught on the top, then he counters with the Frankensteiner, and then he actually gets caught. Dean catches him, hits a power bond for the pin, uses the ropes with his feet for leverage. These guys, Tony mentions it right away. He says, "Remember the date. This is going to one of the greatest cruiserweight matches we've ever seen, and one that you'll see." And for a guy who spoke a lot of hyperbole, Andrew, this was not hyperbole. This was excellent. It was, and now is when I can call out Uncle Dave. So, 
Meltzer, as I mentioned, gives this match four stars. He loved this match. The problem I have is when he's writing this match up in The Observer, he says Rey Mysterio got buried by losing to a mid-carder. What the hell are you talking about? That is not even close. No, this was one of the big whiffs of Dave Meltzer's career. And I like Meltzer far more than most, but even he would tell you he whiffed and he whiffed pretty badly on this, obviously, because Mysterio is still one of the biggest stars in wrestling, even in 2020 in his forties with knees that are shot. That speaks to the staying power of guys like Rey Mysterio. And this was such a good match. This was one of the highlights that I remember when I picked the show, it delivered this is a match that I could rewatch 10, 12 different times and find 10 or 12 yep. different things to say, okay, this is really freaking cool. So we get a Lex Luger interview and, you know, he's, he's toned down. He said he doesn't want to be there, but he's Jogger doing face. it. Jogger yeah, face. Could, yeah, it, it just, it's weird. All night he's just very, eh, and it, and I don't he's trying to play it like it's some, it just, it just seems like he doesn't give a crap, honestly. Talks with a real straight tone about how imposing the giant is. Not much there, honestly. Um, okay, we get to a uh, big Bubba versus with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta. So this is what this is um leading. Uh, this was a building from 1990 SummerSlam, where the big boss man is in the corner of Hulk Hogan uh, against the Earthquake. Uh, I think something like that. Oh, boy. And, yeah, uh, this I mean, was uh, when I mentioned that the uh, floor of match quality was DDP Bagwell and Conan Elgato. I neglected this yeah, match, and yeah. uh, you'll see why I had sort of selectively blotted it out of my mind, and then I went down and I looked down my notes. Right after I said that, I went, oh, no. Yeah, this is <laughs> – and, and the thing about it is it's 5 minutes and 20 seconds, so we're not talking. They didn't try to go 10 with this, and they, both guys try. They're just, they're just beyond and past their prime. They're just a, a step or two slow for both for two big guys that could actually have a quick step four and five years prior to this. And th- that's just the problem. I think it, there's nothing really special to it. Um, they're talking about uh, John Tenta and Dusty says he doesn't know a thousand holds, but he does know a fist to the face. Tony says he knows a thousand pounds. <laughs> and then uh, uh, John Tenta backs into big Bubba who's in the corner. Dusty says, it's a butt, if you will, to the face. <laughs> so then, this is one thing that's funny about Dusty too. He's trying to figure out the word derriere, and he calls it a dare stare. And then, and then Tony reminds, no, it's derriere. It's just he's struggling to find the word, which is great. Bubba uses the brass knuckles. He hits a suplex. That was an impressive suplex. He goes up to the top rope, and so the finish was really kind of corny too. Jimmy thinks that Big Bubba is about to win. So Jimmy Hart gets up on the apron to start celebrating, and he doesn't realize that behind him, John Tenta countered, caught, power slams Bubba for the win. So when Jimmy turns around, his the earthquake has actually won. And this is also weird because Jimmy used to be with the earthquake. Now he's against the earthquake. It just this was about five six minutes. Again, another thing that felt sort of like it. It could have been on Nitro. This was the low point of the show. Although it still didn't offend me all that much. I didn't think it was even as bad as some other places I read and some other reviews may have had it. One thing that I will say is Big Bubba tries really hard. He does try hard. Match. Yeah. He could still move a little bit. 
And Dusty actually says it, Gino. He calls Big Bubba a big man that can move. Everybody drink. Drink, drink, drink. Okay, so the storyline from this match, since we're just going late 80s, early 90s, WWF here, let's just go all out with it. The storyline here is Big Bubba cut John Tenta's hair. Gee, where have I seen this sort of storyline before? Hmm. So, instant feud. Whatever. Bubba takes two really big bumps early in this match. He goes one off the turnbuckle onto the floor, and he goes into the ring steps. He's 300 pounds. A legitimate 300-pound guy doesn't take those kinds of bumps very often. They do the storytelling with the foreign object, which I I just wasn't crazy about. Bubba hits an okay enziguri, though. And again, not something you see a 300-pound guy do very often. The problem is when Bubba's the guy that has to carry a match, it's not pretty. He can be carried. He had a number of really good matches against Hogan in the mid-90s. He was the first guy on the first Nitro that Hogan beat. And that match was fine because Hogan was able to lead him around. You do a Hogan match. There was value in him from that perspective, but you put him in with John Tenta, a guy whose late 80s, early 90s work I liked far more than Darren did. And at this point, John Tenta is out of gas as a worker. He just is. He's past his sell-by date, and there's just not a whole heck of a lot that you could do with him nobody's fault they're trying to use a guy that was a name in wwf and they're trying to find a way to use him on wcw television but this just didn't work all that well and they had to continue the storyline tenta gets the scissors and winds up allegedly cutting bubba's beard which he doesn't yeah (laughs) no and bubba's holding over his beard saying he cut me he He cut cut me me. yeah like it just didn't work we'd seen this before It just seemed tired. And that's no fault of Big Bubba who tried. And he had mileage left to the point where he went back to WWF and had some big programs. He He slimmed down as the the big boss man. Yeah, Yeah, he had a program with the big show's father. He had the program with Al Snow in the Kennel from Hell match that we will never speak of ever again. Um, He won the tag titles a few times as the enforcer for the McMahons and the corporation and stuff. There was was value in him, and he tried. It's just there wasn't a whole heck of a lot either guy could do with this match, unfortunately. And this, I will say, is the low point of the pay-per-view, but we wind up with a lot of good stuff after it to sort of, you know, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down kind of effect. Yeah, the next uh, segment is a Mean Gene introducing Steve Mongo oh, McMichael fun. I and Kevin Green one. with their wives, uh, Deborah, with the future wife of Stone Cold Steve Austin. They're coached by Macho Man. Uh, Mongo talked, and then Green talked, and he was intense. Macho with some football puns and references. These guys got it. They get wrestling. Um, Kevin Green is is really good when I wa- watching Batch. Back he and and you know when we'll watch the match and we'll talk about it. It's better than we thought. It's they don't have they're not doing you know hurricane ranas and stuff like that. But they stay in their comfort zone. They they do things that work and that makes sense. I thought this was good. I mean they 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 cut a real intense promo, letting them know like we're coming after you. My problem with this promo isn't Kevin Green, it isn't Mongo, it isn't their wives. It's Savage. 
Savage yeah. runs in and he's doing the crazy thing. And Gino, you're going to get a Savage impression out of me. I make no claims Let's, about here it. We this go. is going to be good. But this was my problem. We're going to do a goal line stand and then we're going to knock Ric Flair into the end zone. Which is backwards. What do you um, mean? Mach, I know you're a wrestler and not a football player. That's not how football works. The same thing. If you're That's doing great. a goal line stand, you're trying to keep Ric Flair out of the end zone. Not knock <laughs> him into the end zone. And maybe that's why they got beat. Because yeah. they weren't seeing the bigger picture. Right. But if Macho Man was calling the plays for him, this was a problem. Yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, this was Rich Kotite with the Jets level stupidity. You have a Rich Kotite reference. Mark that one on your bingo cards Check. at home. But this was cool. Getting yeah. aside here, Green and Mongo got it. Mongo at this point had been under contract for about a year. He was doing the color commentary thing with his dog. And it was a case where every once in a while he'd have a couple of good lines, but traditionally pretty forgettable. They do this and nobody really knew how good Kevin Green was going to be. He got so good to where wrestling was a legitimate career option for him. And yeah. a couple years later in 1998, teams actually had to start writing no wrestling clauses into Kevin Green's contracts because he would go wrestle a match or two a year with WCW and he would wind up doing a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. He was, he was never going to be a Hall of Fame level technician, but could he have been a fun mid-card babyface for five, six years? No freaking problem with that. I mean, and, he could have absolutely yeah. been the babyface version of what Mongo was for a yeah. couple of years who held a mid-card titles and who was a, a part of a faction. And I agree. Uh, this this hit really well. Um, yeah. I, I thought the, the involvement from, from all these guys was really good. And and we'll break down that match um, in more in its entirety in just a moment. Next up was... Uh, Redacted. Redacted. Yeah, Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. We're going to skip that. Um, after the match... We do see the reformation of three of the four horsemen now. So Flair and Arn are back together with Benoit. Arn and Flair discuss their match with the legends of the NFL. We then get to another real high on the show. For me, the Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves versus Sting match. Tony keeps talking about the possible hostile takeover and if WCW will answer the call. We get a big pop for Sting, who's the U.S. champ and the tag champ with Lex Luger at the time. Tony mentions that the 1990 Great American Bash was when Sting became the champ for the first time, beating Ric Flair. Quick start for Sting. Regal's tossed outside into the barricade. And then Regal, some European uppercuts. He takes advantage. He is super stiff, laying in shots all throughout. Tony actually mentions, again, to, to piggyback on the point of Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mean Gene, these guys coming over to WCW. We've, we get a mention of Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales, who are going to be with WCW for autograph signings. Regal uh, then goes outside to talk trash to a fan, which is great. He offers to shake Sting's hand, and then Sting instead gives a thrust. It's just like, what? They're still going with this thing, you know, through the match. The match is good, though. It really is good. Tony says... Uh, Elvis is in the building And Dusty says it wasn't an Elvis move It was a pelvis move <laughs> uh, Which was a pretty good one From Dusty And then uh, then Dusty asks Tony Why are you sitting so close to me 
Tony says, I don't know. You just noticed that? It's been happening all night. <laughs> just, just really, just, they're just giving each other some crap here back and forth. Uh, we get the test of strength. And Sting is in great shape, though. Andrew, you mentioned some of the problems that he would have. He's in physically way better shape here than he would be at Halloween Havoc ninety or what is it, Starcade ninety seven, when he's about when he's supposed to be getting that big push, and that's when Hogan and Bischoff kind of say that he wasn't in shape, and maybe that's why they didn't want to really go and and let him have the ball and run with it. Here he is phenomenal looking, Sting, and Regal looks great too. We get USA crowd, uh, USA chance from the crowd. Regal's in charge for a while. He says he might not know a thousand holds, but maybe nine hundred. <laughs> he says uh, we've seen why many athletes have tucked their tail and run away. The competition is uh, is here, so taking a shot at the WWF and some of the guys who left, uh, maybe the Austins and the the Mark Marrows of the world at this time. Pillman too, don't forget yeah, Pillman. Who just left? You're right. That's probably who they're really taking a shot at. And he says the greatest athletes are here. Regal talks trash to the camera. And Tony asks if any of the other blue bloods have been out. Dusty says just Jeeves. He says jives though. <laughs> he says just jives. And he means Jeeves. Dusty, not that kind of jiving. Um, Regal's in charge for a few more minutes. He slows it down. And then Sting turns it around. There's a little sloppy, one sloppy spot. It's a double underhook off the top rope, but it ends up working out okay. Nobody gets hurt or anything. It just looks a little sloppy. Regal with some really stiff shots to Sting And then a slap And that seems to wake Sting up He goes crazy with punches A Stinger splash Regal blocks it And then Sting with the back body drop Into the Scorpion Deathlock He's only in it for about two seconds Before he taps out I, I think he could have held it a little longer But that's kind of how submissions were In this day and age They generally didn't really sit in them for very long Andrew, another super high on this show I, I forgot about this match completely I mean, it wasn't even... On my radar and I'm very very Happy I rewatched it If you want an indication for How stiff Regal was working Just look at Sting's face In the first minute of this match The paint is gone He literally slapped the Paint off of Sting's face With some of the European Uppercuts he was doing and some of the shots He was laying in and this was What I mentioned earlier on in the show This wasn't a case of Champ runs down challenger, champ squashes challenger. Okay, who did that help? This was a case where Steven Regal dominated two-thirds of this match. And you really got the sense that Regal was a threat to WCW's number one babyface at the time. A lot of people will say Hogan was on the roster. Hogan wasn't around at this point. I'm not counting him. Sting gets a monster pop coming out. The crowd clearly loves the guy, and for good reason. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stalling early on But that's a European wrestling tactic They went five minutes In a stretch With one or two wrestling moves And the crowd was into it The crowd wanted to see Steven Regal Get his butt kicked By the franchise of WCW Eventually they got it But it was really well booked The way that they did it Because Regal wound up getting in a lot of offense A lot of good submission holds But the thing that stuck out to me about Regal in this match were some of his antics as he was trying to fight Sting off. There was one instance where he was shadow boxing with the referee before going down to a sunset flip. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, He screamed terrified when Sting grabbed a backdrop. You could tell they were having fun out there. And those are the kind of matches that really resonate on a rewatch. 
You guys mentioned this with Brett and Sean at Survivor Series in the early 90s. You can tell when guys are having fun on a rewatch. And this was a case where these two guys were really enjoying working together. And there was such a good slow build on still Sting, for lack of a better term, hulks up, gets the uh, Scorpion Deathlock. And I didn't have a problem with Regal tapping out early because that was his character. His character was that of, for lack of a better term, a chicken shit heel that wound up getting his comeuppance. And he tapped out quick because he didn't want the extended torture of being caught in Sting's submission hold. So I got that. This was a really good match. I have it as a three and a half star match. The one thing that maybe they could have done is just cut it down by two or three minutes Mm -hmm. because there was a sense where it sort of felt like overkill. But this was a really good match. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And Gino, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I think this is Sting's last I was very good to great just gonna singles say that. match yeah. for three years, maybe. There, his, there, 90, his 98 run stunk. His 99 run had a couple of matches with Diamond Dallas Page that were excellent and sort of got him back on the beam. But this is the last time we saw really good Sting in the ring for maybe three years. Yeah, and then, I mean, in, he may have had a couple in TNA that you could pull, pull as good good matches. I, th- I would stack this up with any of them. Yeah, this was really I would good. Stack this this up. was brilliant. I mean, and if this was for the heavyweight title and was a main event, this match would totally hold up in that spot as a main event. If they had built up Regal as a, a main event challenger and given him a bunch of wins leading up and when Sting was the heavyweight title, this would have fit. It was a good, good match. I, I really liked it. And I think we forget, we know that Regal is stiff, but we forget he was quick too. I mean, he was quick and not not fast, but quick. Quick first step, quick first movement, quick first jab, that Euro uppercut, boom, boom, boom. He would he would pretzel you up before you even knew what was going on. Uh I, I just really, really enjoyed this one on it was the rewatch. So much fun. It was. And, and really quick before we move on, we mentioned Sting had his set of personal demons. Regal. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, he leaves WCW, goes to WWF. They do the he's a man theme music. And I realized that note was flat. Please don't critique me in the comments section of this. I realize <laughs> I can't sing. So they do that. He winds up getting really sick to the point where he has to take significant time off. He winds up falling into personal demons, a, a drug battle in the mid 2000s. They bring him back as the authority figure and he winds up winning king of the ring and you see the potential that he had as king regal there was one show where he took the show off the air in the middle of the main event and for three or four weeks he was the biggest heel in professional wrestling and then he failed a drug test and was gone and thankfully he is still here we recognize him as one of the architects of NXT, as a figurehead, as a mentor, as a guy that's helped a lot of talent on their way up. More power to him for that. When Regal was clean and sober and Regal was focused, there aren't a whole lot of guys I would put above him as far as in-ring quality goes. Well, and, so, and the thing yeah. about what I what I love about him, too, is you hear him talk about it in later years and in documentaries and stuff like that. 
He loves the performing part too He will make an ass out of himself He will dress up in a skirt In a dress Whatever to to go along with the storyline He's not one of those wrestlers Who's a tough guy That doesn't want to do the gimmick or the shtick He loves the comedy He's, yeah. a, he's he loves he and he talks about how he used to love watching comedy and you remember a lot of the stuff that he was doing with Mr. McMahon the Tajiri stuff was uh, oh. was was great he had a blast with Tajiri they were yeah. fun they would build off each other it just like you said it's unfortunate because at this point of his career he's more of a worker and then later in WWF He's more of a, a character If he was ever able to connect to both of those And we only saw glimpses of it here and there Like where he's playing the heel stick here And he's laying it on We just never really saw it all come together yeah. If we did, he could have absolutely been a main eventer anywhere There's two things that I'll bring up Gino, I don't know if you remember this But we were at the same NXT show a couple of years ago in LA And there was a spot where Regal came out to address the crowd They had the ring up on this concert stage Kind of thing. And Regal grabs the mic and goes, try to catch me. And he spins <laughs> going over the top rope. And that was really cool. And it got everybody laughing. That was good. If you listen to the interviews Regal does about the time that he spent with Tajiri, you're not quite sure if he's working or if he has legitimate angst towards this man. But there is <laughs> so much good stuff. And it's great. I, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna distract from the rewatch any longer than this, but if after this show you want to know more, there's a whole lot of stuff out there on the internet about Regal to Jiri, their relationship, some of the things that they did. There's a lot to this guy, and it's incredibly fortunate that he's still here and still impacting the business in a positive way. We now uh, we get a promo for Bash at the Beach, one of the biggest pay-per-views in wrestling history. Sunday, July the 7th, we will talk about that one day. It, it'll be soon. I'm not going to make it my next pick, but if we don't talk about it before, then it might be my, my second next pick. So within the next month or two, we'll hit this show because I, I like I like doing some of the shows around the time, and it's summertime coming up. Bash at the Beach would be a good one to discuss. And they talk about how last year in Huntington Beach, they had over 100,000 people on the beach. This year, it's going to be in Daytona. And then it's Michael Buffer time. He's al- announcing the uh, the Legends of the Gridiron versus the Legends of Wrestling. First, it's Ric Flair with Woman, who's Nancy Benoit, with Miss Elizabeth, with Arn Anderson. Flair currently announced as a 13-time heavyweight champion. And here comes the head coach. And uh, he says, for four decades, he's been a wrestling champion, a manager, a broadcaster, another legend from the world of wrestling. The head coach, Bobby the Brain Heenan. White that was pretty good, man. Jesus, that was good. That. White suit jacket. And um, and Dusty says one of his best thoughts of the night. I, 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 um, I thought he said, well, we're talking about Bobby, like him or not, talk about him all the time. We have our differences. He drove men to be champions, team to be champions. He truly is in a class all by himself. It's a great line from Dusty, and he's right. He's spot on. Uh, Bobby, one of the all-time great managers. We then get the intro for McMichael and Kevin Green, and then the huge pop for Macho Man. He coaches them. We start out with Mongo versus Arn. And remember, Mongo has been doing the announcing on Nitro for a while with Bobby. That's kind of how this whole thing started. Bobby and Mongo got into it, and um, and so Bobby went to represent with the Flair and Arn, and Mongo went and got one of his buddies and uh, went and got trained by the Macho Man. So Tony talks about Mongo's career in the NFL And he asks He said he asked Mongo why he left the Bears In his final year uh, Left, And he said Mongo says money and So that sets up the angle At the end of the match 
Slow start to the match, feeling out process But uh, Mongo's shoulder tackle Knocks down Arn Anderson Then Arn kind of suckers him in And he does a drop toe hold And Mongo with a flying shoulder off the top Everything's very deliberate Which I like, it's good um, the crowd's into this. They're the they're they're all playing to the crowd really nicely. Kevin Green comes in uh, on a two on one, um, and then Macho nails Arn outside the ring. Um, Green sprawling and turning on the ground. He's all pumped up. He's like a, a rabid bulldog down there on the floor. Uh, Flair tags in. He struts a little bit. And they do a good job of of stalling and making the little. Things feel like big things Anytime these guys touch it feels like a big deal Because they're doing a lot of the the Bells and whistles all around it uh, Green pushes off Flair Shoulder tackles Flair and and Double A Then Flair heads down the aisle They look like they're trying to leave Macho runs after him He gets Flair, tosses him back in the ring That's when Mongo tags in Arn ducks out um, Mongo uses the strength But Flair baits Mongo to the corner They exchange some tops uh, some chops. I mean, this is one of the. We talked about this, Andrew. You and I. Mongo is better here than he's ever in his wrestling career. <laughs> uh, arm drag, back body drop. Uh, uh, he tosses Flair off the top rope. He puts on the figure four, uh, and it doesn't look awful. You know, Green hops in and he knocks down Arn, and they have double figure fours on. That's when Woman breaks it up. Um, the four ladies argue outside the ring, and then the the ladies all run down the aisle into the back. Um, Arn starts working on Mongo. Flair uh, tosses Mongo outside Bobby kicks him with a cheap shot Flair lows, low blows Mongo Behind the ref's back And then we get the hot tag to Green Green comes in, shoulder tackles, body slam Back body drop, power slam Really basic moves that made sense He looks like a house of fire Suplexes Flair Into the ring when Flair was on the apron um, Gave Flair a boot And then arm with a cheap shot To Green's knee And that's when the match turns a little bit and Tony even mentioned something that you talked about The front office of the Panthers They're watching holding their breath Flair goes for the figure four Green rolls him up for two uh, We get a knee breaker Andrew, he's really going to town on Green's knee I mean, you know that he's selling it But if you are, you know, the team that he plays for You're watching this as Flair is just laying in on this guy's knee Figure four um, Macho nails aren't outside the ring And then Benoit ends up coming down and Deborah comes out with Miss Elizabeth and with Woman, so we get a lot going on at the end of the match. Liz is holding a briefcase. She brings it over to Mongo. Deborah opens it, shows Mongo all the money and a Four Horsemen T-shirt. He takes it out, puts, looks at the shirt, looks at the money. She convinces Mongo, and Kevin Green is in pain. He's in the ring. He's been screaming for a tag. Mongo ends up hitting Green on the back of the head. Flair pins Kevin Green for the win. It's basically a situation where it was, you know, everybody on four on two, Flair, Arn, Benoit, Mongo. They're the new four horsemen, and they're laying it, laying it in on Macho and Green. Bobby's there with them, um, and and this is really the final spot we see for Bobby as far as being any kind of a an, an other or accompanying to the ring. I will say though, uh, Andrew. This was good. They knew what they had to do here. This thing went twenty minutes, but it. And it, it didn't feel like it was went 40 minutes there, Like I said, every time they touched They connected, it was a, a move It felt like a big deal I thought they did a great, great job with this match I got a hot take for you So There's a lot of celebrity matches In the history of professional wrestling That don't work And we can go all night long Talking about the ones that did not work There's a couple that definitely worked 
There's LT and Bam Bam from WrestleMania 11. There's what I consider to be a celebrity match, even though she had a run in WWE, the Kurt Angle, Ronda Rousey versus yeah. Triple H and Steph tag match. I think that they hit on worked. the Big Show Floyd one earlier. That yep. was good. That was one. I think this is the best celebrity match in recent professional wrestling history. And there's a reason for that. On a recent episode of Table for Three, I don't know how recent it is. It was within the past year or so. It might have come out around the time of WrestleMania or the road to WrestleMania, whatever. They had AJ Styles, Shawn Michaels, and Kevin Nash. And AJ talks about how when he worked with Nash, it was easy. It wasn't necessarily a matter of them having a five-star classic. It was telling a story. Whereas if it was AJ and Shawn, the match would have been terrific, but they would have had to put in a lot of work to get there just simply because of both of their Mm -hmm. styles and the things they would have had to do. With the other guy being in there, there were a lot of options that were available that made the storytelling work. That's what you see here. You get Flair and Arn in their element. This is what they were born to do. They were born to make other guys look so freaking good when they couldn't really do a whole heck of a lot. You mentioned Kevin Green coming in like a house of fire. As good as he looked, he had five, maybe six go-to spots. They didn't do anything overly complicated with Mongo either. But they knew exactly how to space and pace the match out. They had Savage on the outside. They had Brain on the outside to help. There were so many moving parts, and everyone played their role perfectly. Early in the match, Mongo and Arn do the three-point stance thing. And I'm watching this. And I liked this match. I knew where it was going, but I'm thinking, oh, this is goofy, whatever. Mongo knocks Arn down and the place goes ballistic. Mongo didn't play in Baltimore. didn't play for the Colts. Didn't play for the Baltimore Ravens, which weren't even a thing yet. This was a guy who had just knocked Arn Anderson flat on his ass. And the crowd goes bonkers. And you mentioned it. Every time the football players got some element of offense, the place went wild. Yeah, that's how and you knew they hit it. They hit it well. They that, yep. that's what you want to do. Yep, and that's a credit to Arn and Flair because they're the ones that laid the match out and knew what would work and what didn't. And if you look at Flair's facial expressions throughout the match, he's loving this. This was what he was put on the earth to do, and it's what he did through the eighties and nineties. This was okay go out with this broomstick for 20 minutes and make the broomstick look good. Okay, I can do this. And it helped that the pro re- that the pro football players got what they were supposed to be doing. Celebrity matches are 100 times better when the guys are game and know what works, know what doesn't, and most importantly, listen to the guys that they're in the ring with. There were a couple of spots that were just tremendous, not just for celebrity matches, but for matches in general. Yeah. Green gets in trouble. Gives a tag to Mongo. Mongo doesn't beeline to Flair who's in the ring. Mongo goes to Arn and scares him off the apron to leave Flair in the ring alone. Yeah, that's like a veteran spot. It's a good spot. Why yep. don't they do that in tag matches anymore? That is brilliant. It's simple. You don't need to do a whole heck of a lot. And all of a sudden, you get a spot where the crowd's popping because the bad guy's in the ring all alone. And that's not going to end well for him. 
Speaking of not ending well for him, Flair goes to the top rope. Never ends well. Never for Ricky. Ever. Never. So good. They do a spot with the dueling figure fours on Flair and Arn. And I thought my television audio system was broken because that's the loudest moment of the evening. They do the dueling figure fours with Flair and Arn suffering in the ring. Heenan and Woman have to break everything up. But for three or four seconds, the place is going bonkers. They had them. They knew they had them. And you can tell because if you watch the end of the match, Mongo hits Green with the briefcase. Green goes down. Flair goes for the cover. For as great as Flair is, not exactly the most subtle guy in the world when he's communicating with his opponent. He brings his hand up to his face. And if you watch the other hand, he sort of pats Kevin Green on the stomach. It's almost like you can tell he's saying, hey, good job. Good, man. Yeah. This was really good. Good job, yeah. And I noticed that on the rewatch, and I loved it. Because, as we've mentioned, Kevin Green got professional wrestling to the point where if he wanted to stop playing professional football, it was a legitimate option yes, for him he to do been, that. He would have been okay, and he was over in this ter- in this area in the yes. Carolinas, you know, yeah. in particular, he was over. I, he did a great, great job. They they all did. This was excellent, man. This was way better than I had remembered. I kind of looked at it initially. And I was like, kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Oh, this is one of those Mongo. And this was good. This was really, really good. Um, and then Dusty flips out. He's furious. He screams, <laughs> money talks. Money talks, man. I tell you, we need to take a hot cold look at this country and what makes it all worthwhile. Stupid Mongo. <laughs> and he, he shakes Bobby's hand, his formal rival on the commentary. Um, yeah, good good stuff. Uh, then we get the big segment before the main event. Eric Bischoff comes out. He mentions since May 27th, the interruptions on Nitro. Says they know who they are. They know they're here. And here comes Scott Hall and Kevin Nash from the side entrance with no music. Bischoff says that WCW will give them a match on July the 7th, Bash at the Beach. And I went I talked earlier about that Madison Square Garden curtain call incident. That was only a week before the, the first time Scott Hall showed up. That was May the 19th. They ask who the three guys... Uh, Bischoff asked, <clears throat> asked them if they work for the WWF, as Andrew had said earlier. They say no. Hall says forget about the past. They want to worry about the future, man. They ask what who the three guys for WCW are. Is it the Nacho Man? Is it the Immortal Huckster? You tell billionaire Ted Man to break out the money and get anybody he can. Because the big man and the medium-sized man and our surprise buddy is going to carve them up. <laughs> and then uh, Bischoff goes to ask Nash a question, and Hall gets pissed. He says, who are the three going to be? And he says, Bischoff says he'll tell him tomorrow on Nitro. And then Hall, boom, he punches Bischoff in the gut. Nash sets him up for the powerbomb. And he just flings him off the stage, Andrew. This is a great-looking spot. He goes right through the side of the entranceway that they had a little crash pad set up for him. And then Hall grabs the mic and says, Big boys, they just left the building. And he and Nash walk out. Bischoff sells this. This was a... Quick little segment That did so much To ignite everything We did not see Commentators or uh, uh, Figureheads Getting in interacting With the wrestlers like this We did not see them ever get physical This is the first time in, in 
the U.S. professional wrestling that we saw something like this, and it's still like you said nowadays people would just shrug, but it still looks good even even now. You know, all these years later, we've just had it happen so much that it wouldn't hit the way it hit then. This was a great segment, man. We see why things they did it so well at the beginning. When they treat something like it's a big deal, when they put so much time and effort into it, WCW really could have some good storylines. The big thing to note here, and you hit on a lot of the points. The big one that I need to make before we move on is up until this point, there was no indication, there was no admission, there was no hinting that Eric Bischoff on air was the front office of WCW. Yes, it's a great he point. Was just sort of the C announcer, and nobody really was able to identify him on camera as the executive producer. This is the first time where he says, I was in the WCW office all day, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you want your match, you got your match. This was the first time. And we also saw some of this in WWF at the time because Vince McMahon wasn't publicly outed on screen as the owner of the WWF for another year, year and a half. It mm-hmm. was a case where WCW was ahead of the game. And yeah. that was one of the reasons why they were able to get out to a flying start in their war against the WWF, because they were doing things that the other side was not doing. Now, would Vince have gotten power bombed off the stage? No, but this was Vince getting stunnered a year and a half mm-hmm. before Vince got yes. stunnered. And I can't stress that enough. If you're listening to this and you weren't a fan in 1996 and you hear, oh, Bischoff got powerbombed off the stage. Eh, I mean, that's cool that, you know, they're doing this and they're establishing themselves as the heel, boo, whatever, move on. This was revolutionary. And you can tell that by the way Tony and Dusty reacted. Tony goes, He's the man holding the microphone. How cheap, yeah. how low can you get? He couldn't even defend himself. He was holding the mic. Yeah. That, that, yep. They make and, it and they get yeah. serious tone, serious voices here. Tony actually leaves the set yep. to go check on Eric, uh, to go check on Eric Bischoff. And Dusty is, Dusty does a good job here of I just love this. flabbergasting. He, he was like, he couldn't talk. He really didn't know what to say. And it wasn't like earlier when he's tongue-tied. He was laying on the seriousness of it. And and how and, and what's funny is it worked out really well having this right after where Dusty got mad at the end of that Arn and Flair versus the football guys match. Because Dusty's mad about what just happened there where Mongo turned his back on his buddy and he went to, he sold out. And he even mentions it too, you know, at the end, he's talking about how there's so much wrong in the world. You know, he said, I'm disgusted with what happened earlier and this and that. And then he ends up uh, throwing it to, to Michael Buffer, I think long before he's supposed to, but it all yeah. it fits. It, it, it doesn't, it's, I think, you know, it's a little awkward there because we know TV and stuff, but it, it goes along well with what's just happened. Like, uh oh, there's a problem. And one of the main commentators is out, and maybe they were supposed to go back to Bischoff, or it just felt like there was some chaos there. And I liked it. It felt even more real and, and even more authentic. So um, we get Dusty, who then throws it to Michael Buffer, and, and then out comes um, Luger. And Luger comes out, and I thought it was a cool moment too. He goes and checks on Bischoff. He walks right out and he looks at him. 
You know, he stops, he goes over there, he addresses him. So even Lex Luger, who's got what's supposed to be one of the biggest matches of his life coming up, he's worried about Bischoff over in the corner and everything's going on with WCW. So they are making this feel very, very important and a big deal. Even so much that I think the reason why this match doesn't get looked at in a more positive way, Andrew, is because it's in the death spot. I think people got so up for not only the 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 tag team match before this, but the segment where Bischoff goes flying and it, that that like sucks the life out of the building. Everybody's wow doesn't know what to think. This wasn't the easiest spot to come out and try to have a ten minute main event match after all that. Not at all whatsoever. And if there is one hole with the way this show was booked and structured, it's that mm-hmm. the show should have ended with Bischoff doing the stretcher job. Yep. Yep. Dusty does the face promo. Bischoff gets stretchered out, and you're left wondering what the heck just happened. In addition to that, Flair Horn against Green and Mongo was billed as the biggest match on the show for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. That delivered. If that's the last match on the show, terrific. I would have put Giant Luger between the Sting Regal match and the tag match, and that would have done so much better. With the way everything turned out. Completely because agree. again, the title, the world title, wasn't the focal point of the show. No, it and, and it was were there were two in. bigger things in this show than that. And maybe even yeah. three. I mean, at yeah. least the final the two things that preceded this immediately, the tag match and then the segment with the they, the outsiders. Yep. And to be fair, at this point, WCW was still in the mindset of Champion closes the show. That's just the way that things are. It wouldn't be until a couple of years later where you'd experiment with throwing title matches randomly in the card Mm -hmm. and do things that way. But the title just wasn't a priority. And that's not a knock on the guys in the ring because I liked this match. If you're watching this match on mute, it's a decent match. It's fine. You have the giant flying around doing a lot of impressive stuff. Luger, to his credit, while sporting jobber face, is game here. He has his worker boots on and he's selling for the giant. There are times in his WCW career where Luger just puts a postage stamp on it and mails it in. Not the case here. He is actively trying and they tell a really good story, especially in the latter half of this match with Luger trying to get the giant off his feet. He drops the giant to a knee and the crowd gets right back into it. They're up. Mm -hmm. They want to see that now. They do the spot where the Giants in the corner draped over the top turnbuckles. This is a pretty impressive sight here. It is. Luger tries to go for the torture rack. It's like a squat. Yeah. Like if you're working out. Yeah. He gets him up very briefly for a second, second and a half. Can't get it. And you feel the air in the crowd just completely leave the building. It looked nasty too. The giant yeah. falling like right on top of him. That couldn't have felt great, you know? No. But then choke slam, good night. You get the giant with a really good line after the match into the camera saying, Won't these people learn nobody can beat me? Well, he goes from that looking like a killer in the main event to two months later jobbing to Hogan and getting laid out unconscious for, I kid you not on this, eight to 10 minutes after mm-hmm. the match. And they're so spray the painting him. 
can do their spray painting Hogan must pose thing. I, I have it in the back of my mind to make Darren watch that at some point. I'm not going to do it with my next one. As I mentioned to you, I had another show in mind, but I got to tell you that's in the queue because that's synonymous with how WCW missed the boat on some guys. They didn't hesitate when the giant came in in 95 to make him a main eventer. He didn't do a whole heck of a lot wrong in 96. He wasn't all that experienced, but you could have gotten another four months out of him and then potentially put, used him to put over a face in 96. Maybe that doesn't happen with Sting, but if you want to give the title to somebody, Hogan didn't need the title. Hogan was over enough as it was doing the NWO stuff to where all the stuff with the title, it just seemed unnecessary and that it didn't help anybody. But then again, that's Hogan for you. Yeah, this was this was okay. It wasn't bad. It just feels bad when you watch it after everything because it feels less important than the stuff before it. That, that's right. really what it, what it came down to for me. You know, and the story of this match, there was a story. It was, could Lex get the giant up for the torture rack for his finishing move? Because he's tried to do it a few different times before and he couldn't. He tried to get him up for a body slam and he fell. And then... As, as Andrew had mentioned, he was perfectly lined up in the corner. Um, the giant goes for what basically looks like a kind of a cross body when Lex is in the corner, almost like a splash just into the corner. Lex moved, and the giant ends up getting draped across the top. And so Lex comes from underneath him, just like you would set up to squat in the weight room, and he squats him up. He puts him in the torture rack. He takes one, two steps, and then he falls. And he falls right on top of him. And as Andrew mentioned, Giant with the choke slam and the W. And um, he looks impressive. He looks imposing. And if we if we restructured the show a little bit with what ended the show, just like you said, I think it probably even leaves a better taste in, in everyone's mouth. But I look back at this show, Andrew, and you know we didn't even talk about a, a part of the show that would be a high for many people too, that uh, false count anywhere match. But when we looked through Steiner's Fire and Ice, Fine with I thought it was above average Conan Elgato at least average To slightly above average DDP Bagwell at least average Malenko Mysterio absolutely Loved it Tenta Big Bubba Maybe slightly below average but not Bad or horrible we've seen shows That have had three or four matches worse Than that one Sting Regal Absolutely loved it excellent Flair Arn the tag match Against Green and McMichael Way better than you would expect and then the Giant Luger okay Plus we have an unbelievably important Cool segment where Bischoff gets slammed When you have that many positive things On a show it's always going to be a good show I thought this is one of Like I said it would be in the top 10 And maybe even the top 5 For me personally of best ever WCW Pay-per-views It was a lot of fun It's an easy watch on the network It's about two and a half hours If you don't watch the Voldemort match It's really cool And it's cool to see what WCW was before Hogan turns heel and sets a wave of events in motion that would wind up changing the business uh, for the next four, four and a half years. It's a really cool thing. There's something for everybody. If you haven't seen this pay-per-view or if you're just looking for something fun to watch to kill two and a half hours, highly recommend this one. Uh, Darren's not here to talk about it, but I hope that he at least got a chance to watch and enjoy it as well. I feel like I atoned at least a little bit 
for my Hogan Warrior 2 pick, although Aaron's <laughs> given me reason to go back to that well, and you know I apologize for that because that's not your fault, but if and when I do go back to that well, you will suffer and there will be consequences for it, I'm sure. Sometimes the suffering I have even the most fun with because it's the, it's the most fun to talk about some of the bad stuff sometimes. And um, now it's going to be my selection, so I pick next for what we'll be talking next week. And Andrew, I'm going to go to back to the WWF. We're going to be close to the same time period that we've been in for the last few shows of the WWF we covered. And we are going to be talking about an event that became one of the more important and infamous events in the history of wrestling. We're going to talk about King of the Ring 1998, where we get that awesome Hell in a Cell with Mick Foley and The Undertaker. Throws him off the cell choke slams him through the cell We actually have the uh, the finish of the King of the Ring here Where we get another iteration of that Rock Ken Shamrock rivalry That we've liked and we've had fun with watching so far We we get Austin versus Kane in the main event And I, you know there's an X-Pac Owen Hart match Earlier on the show that I thought was pretty decent too The crowd is super hot for this show um, I'm excited to talk about it. We all know uh, the hell in the cell with Kane or with uh, with Foley and with the Taker, and we'll be able to to really break this one down from all angles. I'm more excited about the Jr. impressions we're all going to do. Uh, that's <laughs> that's going to be a lot of fun. This is Jr. in all his glory, and none of it is a work. This is a guy that probably didn't know what the heck was going to go on, and when he says, "Well, somebody stop the damn match," he means it. And yeah. you get Terry Funk running out just to buy Mick some time. It is so good. I'm happy that you picked this show. It was, what, 22 years ago last week? Something yeah. to that effect. Yep. We're all really, really old because I remember watching this match. Oh, yeah. I was I was eight, nine years old. I was youthful. I had so much potential. What happened? Anyway, good show. Looking forward to that one. Uh, hopefully Darren as well. And I'm looking forward to his return next week. Sorry we missed uh, DZ on this one, but should be back with us next week to talk some King of the Ring 98. Andrew Champagne, my good friend, give us some of your plugs. What should we be looking forward to this week with Champagne and JD? And uh, let us know where we can follow you, social media and the website. Sure. Uh, Social media is at Andrew Champagne on Twitter. Website is andrewchampagne.com, but that's taken a bit of a backseat this week. Uh, this week, our guest on Champagne and JD will be Ken Rudolph, who a lot of you nice, know very from cool. his work uh, at TVG, his work with Fox Sports, work with a number of outlets. He hosted Good Day Sacramento for a while. Uh, looking forward to having him on. It's not going to be an easy discussion, but it's a discussion that I think racing needs to have a lot of right now as it looks at itself in the mirror and tries to make itself better in a lot of different ways. Uh, This is not a conversation we're having to check a box about having a show on race and horse racing or diversity and inclusion, whatever. J.D. and I, my co-host and producer, J.D. Fox and I, uh, we're really looking forward to this because we want to listen, we want to learn, we want to be as much of an advocate as we can for getting diverse voices, especially black voices, into the world of horse racing because it's sort of an insulated sport. It's not sort of an insulated sport. It is an insulated sport. And the more we can do to get more voices at the table in prominent positions, the better this sport is going to be long-term. And that's what we all want. So that'll be online either Wednesday night, Thursday. You might, it might already be online by the time you listen to this. Uh, please do take a listen. And if you haven't listened to Ken's podcast from last week, 
where he goes in depth on this topic. I urge you to do that. That's an hour well spent. And that's something that I think everyone should do if they haven't done it already. I've listened to it a couple of times. It's it's riveting, thought provoking stuff that any fan of racing needs to hear. So that's what's on tap for me this week. A lot of stuff going on. My dad is flying in on Thursday night. Really looking forward to having Golf him coming in. up, right? Pebble Beach? Yep, Pebble Beach on nice. Monday. Unfortunately for him, it just came out today that New York has added California to the list of states where if you fly back from there, you need to quarantine for 14 days. So unfortunate timing for him, but hopefully coming out here, playing Pebble Beach and maybe playing some horses with me. I think that's going to happen at some point. You can twist his arm a little, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's what we do. So that'll be fun. Uh, Looking forward to that. Looking forward to a lot of really cool stuff. And it's been a good start to the week because this was a fun show and a really fun discussion. It was Andrew, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure to, to check out Andrew's conversation with Ken. Um, good friend. Always love. Uh, it's funny. Ken's one of those guys who you'll just be flipping through the channels, and then it, it'll be some random TV show or movie, and he'll pop up as just like the news, the broadcaster or the newsman. Bruce man. Almighty. Bruce yeah, Almighty. Yeah. It, you know, you'll see him pop up sometimes. Like, yeah, that's Ken. Cool. So uh, always good touching base with Ken, and um, looking forward to, to listening to Champagne and JD this week with that one, Andrew, buddy. Thank you very much. Don't fall off the cell before next week. Uh, make sure you stay on there. Don't do what Foley did. We have a lot to talk about. Don't worry. Uh, Mick Foley, a graduate of SUNY Cortland. I went to SUNY Cortland's rival, Ithaca College, so I'm smarter than that. <laughs> well played. Andrew Champagne, thank you very much. Folks, don't go anywhere. Hope you had enjoyed uh, this discussion of the Great American Bash 1996. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more on That's What G Said. <laughs> 